0: um i i do feel like a lot of that though does have to come with the fact that for most of the united states outside of its a few uh religious holdouts in the cities but also because you have such a, a geographically diverse and spacious country you know most of the religious holdouts of course are in in, in what gets labeled flyover country and so i I'm not surprised when I'm starting to see this big focus in what feels like a rear guard action for individuals ranging from Stephen Wolf to Rod Dreher, trying to outline practical answers to, uh you know, their faith and what needs to be done here in the United States. Whereas, you know, I, I, and again, like you just mentioned before we, I started recording like Kuyper speaking in Princeton and things that are old hat to reformed neo-Calvinists it's always interesting um, because I didn't really grow up with any strong particular uh, Christian background. I've, I've said it before elsewhere. I grew up as a military brat, the United States military's uh, chaplain corps. You know, your services was a very loose, non denominational Protestant service, which felt, which was basically Baptists. And then you had Catholic mass. And my parents, my father's dog tags say Methodist. My mother was raised Baptist you know, you don't really get much of uh, an option. It was more of a Sunday cult tour, social club rather than the word. So, you know, it's always interesting to me now as an as an older man uh, or more grown up and entering my late 20s that I, I'm finally getting the full breadth of the history. And it's always interesting, I think, to see where people get their ideas and where they're coming from with it. I, I've read the Benedict Option and I think the really only good takeaway from it was Uh, If you are a believing Christian that goes to church more than once a week, you know, very rare for a lot of people nowadays to begin with, but at least in regards to the majority of the population, you're already a minority and you need to accept that.
1: Well, well, exactly. And this is, I I think part of the problem, this is why I wrote the piece and, you know, a few weeks ago. Because one of the things I do with my Substack is every time I have an idea, um, I just pop open my phone and create a title for an article and make two or three bullet points, whatever's popped in my head, right? And then I'll figure out, maybe I'll write something on this later. And so I took a screenshot of that list and put it up on Twitter and said, hey, do any of these grab you? Because I can't decide what to write next. And so three or four people responded. And one guy said, you know, this really sounds interesting. And um so I thought I would, you know, finally pull out the sliver and, and try to organize my thoughts around it, which turned out to be I think almost a two week project that was a little bit more difficult than, you know, not that the ideas are particularly complex, but just more or less organizing. And as soon as I would think about one level, then there would be like, Oh yeah, that's right, you've got to kind of include this and oh yeah, that's right, you gotta kind of talk a little bit about that and and then it sort of just it, it's not really a simple problem. So I I took my approach was to sort of begin with you know what is a Christian community that 's hard right and and we tend to start at the the highest level we have you know Christians in America, so you have American Christians and they 're just there in America, and people need to deal with them and I'm like, well no, no 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 no, no, you have to go back and understand like what is the nature of of a christian community and and you know, having recently read through Spengler's, um, the second volume of Spengler's Decline to the West, one of the points that he makes there, and I think as much as he gets wrong about Christianity because he's not a theologian, um, on this particular point, he did, I think, really nail it, that the heart of uh, the Christian community is that it is a ghetto nation. Um, it is a people without a home. And I I think, you know, the more I thought about that, the more I realized that he's right and that, that that was intentional in the way that God wanted it. So this combination of being bonded together by the Holy Spirit and being taught how to be a Christian, how to culturally enculturate yourself into Christianity is through this discipleship process that and then you know, his, his note that the way that we conquer is through conversion. I think, well, that's absolutely right. So this is the heart of what we are. We are a ghetto nation. This is essentially Augustine's point at the end of Rome is that, hey, listen, you know, your hope is not that Rome is going to endure forever. Your hope is in the new Jerusalem. And so he says, if Rome passes away, well, so be it. Rome will pass away, you know, and for the Christian community, like, you know, if America is gone, well, so be it. The you know, where our hope is not in America. Our hope is in the Christian community, and it's a hard thing for a lot of Americans to grasp, just because of the way that the United States was founded. In a sense, that it a significant bulk of the people came because they wanted to practice their Christian faith free from persecution. They were Protestants who wanted to get away from catholic persecutions and so they came to the new country and and so a, a lot of that gets very tangled up into like well you know the, the 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 manifest destiny of of this is going to be a holy nation and then what happens in in the process of something like that is you lose track of the heart of what the church is all about right so yeah if you've got a small community and it's a church community then it, that you know, you've in a sense got a Christian nation, but as it grows, this creates all kinds of problems. And, you know, you can assume that people are just going to naturally uh, be enculturated in the church, but that doesn't necessarily happen. And so one of the things that happens as, as you know, a, a society grows more and more Christian is that it's easy to take for granted this discipling process and just assume that because people either grew up in the church or they grew up in a Christian society, that that thereby, they'll just sort of pick up on how to be a Christian. Well, it's never really worked that place. So you have to kind of go back to the basics and say that, you know, Christianity was never really intended to be at its heart. Um, you know, a Christian country, we were always supposed to be a ghetto community within the larger society. Now, if you win that battle, and you convert a whole society, well, now you have that whole other problem. And so the, the rest of the piece deals with some of those other issues. But the big the, the big issue for the Christian community is 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 not politics per se, but our big issue right now is, is discipleship. And that's the thing that we're not doing. And so as a result of not doing discipleship, we have all of these people running around being Christian nationalists, going to protests, talking about re-Christianizing the nation. And they have absolutely no clue what they're doing because they don't understand at its heart what it means to be a Christian. And so they're well, mixing everything up all the time.
0: Well, before we get any further, because that's a, that's a hearty claim to lay down, uh, I think for some that are Christians that listen, that are, uh, (laughs) that do those things, um, why don't we start off before we go any further? Um, why don't we tell the audience who you are, what you do and write and your own sort of, uh, Christian theological background, if you don't mind getting into that. You there, Kryptos. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can now you were muted. Okay, meeting. yeah.
1: So whatever is the, the headset, the gaming headset I borrowed from my sixteen year old daughter um just decided <laughs> to stop working. Okay.
0: <laughs> no no worries. So I missed oh.
1: I missed that last couple of seconds, which oh.
0: Sure. No, I. I said before we get any further, though, because that's a, sort of a large claim to to throw down. Um, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and sort of your theological background?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, um, I I got into this kind of accidentally. Um, in some ways, I I've always been, you know, a lurker per se, and. Um, you know, I was a a normie con basically probably at the start of COVID and then gradually got radicalized by it. That was really the final stages. I was, you know, I had done some stuff like reading Danine or whatever, and was beginning to grow nervous with the idea that, you know, it's about return to the founding and these sorts of things. And then I was listening to the, um, the American mind podcast and Michael Anton, who's always good, um, had Charles Haywood on. And I really liked what I heard from Charles Haywood. And, um, I was at the time doing a whole house renovation. So I just plugged in my earbuds and literally just, started at the beginning of his podcast like some 200 book reviews and just started listening to them back to back to back while I was you know cutting sawing sanding drywalling and doing all the rest for 11 months and then I started to pester Charles um he's very gracious with receiving and responding to emails and eventually he said you know some of this stuff is really good you should write a Substack." and so I thought hey I'll do that and then I thought well what's the best way to to um promote myself so maybe i'll do that on twitter and that sort of got everything going um and so here i am and then you know having been given a good book list by charles i just started reading all of these you know radical right-wing books and um then my mind was open shall we say and being <laughs> someone who like being someone who likes to write and i realized that there was a bit of um there was a bit of a gap in and and this was stuff that i had done before um because um, I have always read Jacques Ellul and I've read a lot of Jacques Ellul. And I, you know, getting online, I realized that um, very few people, they, you know, they talk about James Burnham and whatever, and I'm hearing people talk about James Burnham and I'm thinking, well, um, you know, Jacques Ellul said that and he said it better. And then they would talk about, you know, Sam Francis. And I'm like, well, Jacques Ellul said that, but he said it better, right? And then there's, you know, I think it's Mumford. Is there Mumford sort of a, a peer of of, of Lules in terms of depth? But there, there's a lot of things where people talk about. You know, there's the surface stuff, Republican and Democrats, right? And then you get beneath that to sort of the machinations of the administrative state and understanding it. But um, even beneath that, there is um, another deeper level, which is. The operating system, we might say, the grand operating system of technique. And people always ask, well, how did capital get woke? And you're going, well, because the administrative state and big business run on the same operating system, which is technique. And they are basically, they do all the same things in the same way, largely because they they subscribe to the basic set, like root ideology of um, human progress through technique. So, um, and, and so I began writing about Elul and that was probably the first big article. I had a, a sub stack with, I think like 25 subscribers at the time. And I wrote a piece on Elul that got, I think, 6,000 views by the time. I mean, it, it, I was quite shot It literally blew up for like three days. My phone was just going off the hook from Twitter Um, like you can imagine like a guy with an account of like 150 followers at the time, getting a a tweet with like 3000 views and, you know, and then I think, I think now the total of that article is, is in a year is well over 6,000 people have read the, read the article. So honey, this
0: one's doing numbers. Honey, this one's doing numbers. (laughs) That's a good way to, to get your success going. Yeah, no, I, I like Charles uh, a lot as well. I have bought more books than I would like to admit on air based off his reviews and recommendations. And uh, he's kind enough to follow me on Twitter and I like his takes on most things. Um, curious to see how 24 plays out for him. Because I was, I was, like you, I also went on a binge of just listening to all of his book reviews on his YouTube channel because I, yeah. like I like his writing style and I like that he narrates it. In a way that is reflective of his personality, I think uh, he and I share a lot of similar traits. And listening to him talk about what was going to happen in t- the 2020 election, um, like some of this hasn't aged well. And then some of it just sounds so fanciful that I kind of wish it happened. But, um, <laughs> you know, like Trump winning and the Democrats declaring the election invalid and things like that. And I'm just like, well, oh, that'd be a much better story than what we got. Oh.
1: Oh yeah, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been so, and it would have been much more on brand, you know. It's, oh yes. Uh, um, oh yes. It, it's, you know, like as I've, I wrote that piece that was, um, James Poole, that was the other thing that Charles has been very good is he sent my name around to a few people and, and just said, you know, keep an eye on this guy. And so I've had invitations now from, you know, where somebody would say like, Hey, do you mind? What do you think? Can you do a write up of this? Um, and and I've had a couple that were said, like, once it got written up to said like, yeah, you know, it was good as a thread, but not so much as a piece kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can see that. Right. Um, and uh, so I, get, I did get one published in um, The American Mind, and um, it was based on a conversation I had with my with a liberal friend of mine, which is always instructive and you know, trying to remind liberals that, um, this whole idea of election security is, is, you know, it's not simply a Republican thing. I said, you you do remember hanging chads, right? And, um, and, and the way that Rush Limbaugh used to make fun of Democrats after, what is it? Um, it was something election syndrome. Um, but anyways, they, the, 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 you know, Rush was accusing them of, um, all the Democrats are falling into like sort of a post-election despair and that they oh, need yeah, therapy. election
0: depression syndrome,
1: something like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've like Charles and I are the same age, right? So I'm 55. So I've, I've been doing this. I, I was a, a young, I, I
0: listened to Rush Limbaugh when he was still alive while I was in college. Uh, oh, yeah. I would fit the stereotype of the like young high school kid that dressed nice to argue with people. Um, I I am not proud of my past. Well, I I have actually I don't regret it, but yeah, I was me. I was that kind of cringe kid that would dress nice and have no problem debating in high school or college about that those kind of things.
1: Well, yeah. See, you're you're fortunate because I, you know, that's probably better than do trying to um mimic Don Johnson of Miami Vice.
0: I had the right. White- <laughs> Do you have the white jacket and everything? I had
1: the white jacket, the pastel shirts and the mesh shoes and trying to do that in Canada in the winter was always, um, (laughs) yeah, those were, and, and the problem is, is I hated my hair for the longest time because my hair is wavy blonde instead of straight blonde. And I, like, I just could not get my hair to look like Don Johnson's hair. You know, and you think back to yourself, like, wow, I was really 15 at some point, right?
0: Well, you have the benefit, I guess, of being older and not having too many photographs of yourself out there. So, oh yeah, that's true.
1: Well, my mom does have them, but that's well,
0: yeah. It's not like it's well. I I have all my like um personal social media deleted, so all that doesn't exist anymore. But you yeah.
1: know, oh, and that's um. That's the the nice thing nowadays about doing a non-account. So, although I almost outed my somebody just emailed me to point out that a picture I posted had my name in it. <laughs> I pictured the inside cover of a book, and I didn't realize I had my name in it. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I just will delete that. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's you know I don't I don't really think that I say anything overly too radical. It just sometimes on Twitter the the dynamics of Twitter is. Um, like I know with Tinkzord, um, Malcolm, he, you know, he writes this serious stuff and he says quite like straightforward. He says, you know, Twitter's for shit posting and that's, and I, it, it sometimes just sort of draws you into that sort of the fray of it. And it seems to be conducive to sort of that kind of juvenile, um, uh, sort of discourse. And like most men, you know, I still have an inner 15 year old who, um, you know it likes to tell dirty jokes in spite of the fact of being a mature responsible Christian leader in the Christian community. I can just be uh that that fifteen year old boy is still there, and Twitter is a good outlet for it sometimes, so that's so I you know anonymity is nice for that purpose, but um yeah. <laughs> Beyond well, that, I don't. think, In my articles, I don't really say anything that, like, I if I look back over all of my articles, there's nothing there that I think would really say, "Well, oh, well, that's going to get me fired." You know what I mean?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm also very much of the uh, I, I'm tongue in cheek when I write, but I try very hard to put on a serious face when I do a video or an essay. And yeah, Twitter Twitter's for shit posting. I kind of agree. <laughs> I have I have a lot of issues with Malcolm just because I I find it strange that there's this like weird i had patrons ask me yesterday um and i did a, a patron q and a and one of them asked what are my thoughts on revolutionary conservatism and i i always have a cocked eyebrow when we start quoting like gramsci or we start taking basically block for block points from the communist manifesto and we we put up this like based and trad veneer on things and i always get a little cautious about that cuz you know, we've tried taking the left's framework for political action into the right wing, and it's never really worked for the longest time. But you know, no. uh, so like when I see things like reactionary feminism, and uh, in the back of my mind, and I, I said this on on the air to them, I just said, "Look, uh, as I said in that gatekeeping in witch trials piece, when Ashley Colby was groped <sighs> before thousands of Twitter people on 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 Spaces, that I was yeah. glad to be there for." Um, you know, where everyone born after like 1975, Gen X and beyond has to deal with the fact that they were raised in the sort of sexual revolution and its consequences. And things are not going to be an easy deprogrammable, you know, we're not going to defeminize everybody overnight, like denazification. And I think that people need to be more cautious about that when it comes to dealing with the fairer sex, but. Um, the same thing when, when we sort of entertain these ideas with the left, cause I'm just as guilty of it. Cause I've read more Foucault and Derrida and Deleuze and Guattari than I'd like to admit because I I went to college. I have two liberal arts degrees. I've, you know, I, I can tell people yeah. what not to do with their lives, but, um, well, it, it's just that uh, those things sort of always worry me in a lot of ways. And so when I, I see more conversations being oriented around, you know, christianity i get sort of i I do get hopeful because you know you look at the history of the church and i i don't come from a calvinist tradition and i didn't i mean i i'm part of the orthodox church but you know i don't think anyone regardless of their church or denomination can look at the history of christianity especially the first 400 years and think to themselves you know like yeah like this is an easy thing to do um And I'm in that and I'm in Lambda's Discord server, and that's a whole mishmash of every sort of denomination in church under the under the umbrella. And you know, one person had one time said, you know, I feel, you know, I always kind of he he sort of said it smugly. He's like, I always find it interesting how safe and secure um certain uh denominations, and I think he's just sort of chastising Orthodox and Catholics, he's like how they feel safe in a in a Protestant country. And I was like, because it's still a, a mainly here in the United States. I mean, it's still majority Christian. And even in its post-Christianity, its morality is still rooted in Christ. And so there's some degree of safety that one can feel. But I mean, you look at the history of Christianity, you know, there's all over the world. I mean, persecution and martyrdom still happens on a regular basis. And I think that we've grown relatively comfortable here in the United States, and also by to some extent Canada. Although I think the recent uh, burning of churches that were sort of given permission by the Trudeau's government to do so, I think illustrates that no, they're we're not safe. And if that tragic event yesterday is any indication, we're definitely not safe in the United States.
1: Well, no, I, I don't know the degree to which, like, when you go into your city square, um, you know, every business you know, paints a rainbow sidewalk or crosswalk in front of the things or or right in front of City Hall, all the crosswalks are painted in, in rainbow colors. I mean, Canada looks like a free nation because you can go to the mall and shop and buy what you want at the mall, but COVID really exposed the fact that 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 Canada is um, you know, we are living in the soft totalitarianism that somebody like Rod Dreyer spoke about
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you know to go back to to say the question of, of someone like malcolm like i heard malcolm on chris Buskirk's show and um when he was still doing his podcast and which he's now let lapse because that was a really good because he brought in a collection of you know from the right perspective real dissident minds because i think he thought you know this the, the, the seemed like the intent of the podcast was to get people thinking outside of the box. And it listening to Malcolm was really the first time anyone was able to make Marxist analysis make sense to me. And then um, from there, I began going and branching out. And it just it reminded me again, like so you, you have this whole dynamic of um, that we talk about often in, in the dissident right is the um the the disaffected leftist or the disaffected regime apologist does not thereby become a conservative right and that's mm-hmm. the one thing that we forget so malcolm although a disaffected marxist is not a conservative and if you press him you know on issues like say abortion or whatever you know the the dividing lines he's very respectful but he is not one of us and, and that's and that's fine. But you can learn a lot from him. And there's a lot of times his analysis is bang on. Like my my grounding is in philosophy and specifically hermeneutics. So you it, it's disingenuous. Like I, I hear a lot of people talking about things like, you know, universal truths and absolutes. And I'm like, you know, people like the, the, you you are like 200 years behind in in the debate. Um, you cannot go back to things like universal truth um or 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 universals. That that's done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I mean, my my training is in hermeneutics and, and hermeneutical theory. I don't know how familiar you are with like Hans George Gautamer and truth and method, but if you work through like all oh, what is six or seven hundred pages of that book, um that's for me is my my ph- philosophical home because you know, Gautamer gets into things like language and meaning and, and what do words mean? And then you read somebody like Spengler and you realize that like Spengler gets it that, that, you know, um, you know, the, the words you mean on the page and the meaning that is attached to them are very fluid things. And, and in a lot of ways, the, the postmodernists are right in their crit- critiques about power and ideas and so forth. So in many ways, the only way really to confront postmodernism and I think, you know, Geo really understands this as well is through that you have to um, you have to take their, ar- their arguments at face value and answer them. And, and so that's a, in in many ways, that's what I do in part with my Substack, And, you know, to say that while I am a conservative Christian, I am not a fundamentalist for these reasons in a sense, because, you know, the idea of say, um, uh, you know, biblical, like, um, how do you put it? It's uh, inerrancy, the idea of like a biblical inerrancy or that's the, you know, the plain meaning of the text, um, biblical literalism um, are just stupid ideas. And and they really, and 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 they are, the, the long and short is it that, that by and large, you know, say fundamentalist views of, of scripture or um, even like six day creationism are all, Um, ideas that accept the fundamental framing and ground rules of your enemy. In other words, you're basically coming at it from a modernist framework and you're trying to answer critiques against the Bible from a modernist framework, accepting the modernist modernist framework as the the game in which you're playing. And so I I just basically say, listen, the postmodernists have blown that all up anyway. So I just simply refuse to accept the framing. Um, So, Genesis 1 to 6, that, that, you know, like, like whatever, like it, it doesn't do the kind of things that you think that it's supposed to do. And it isn't saying the things you say it's supposed to say. And by the way, evolution is just bad philosophy um, and, and, and bad science. So it's just a dumb idea. Um, And I feel more comfortable with, with the ideas that I have. And your origin story is actually worse than my origin story and less plausible. And so your story versus my story, which is kind of the pot, the, 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 the postmodernist way to go in a sense, you know, my story just seems to make more sense. And so for me, anyways, that's a lot of what I do in terms of a number of articles that I've written is to begin with the process of, um, or, or. To ground the, a lot of these discussions of politics in the postmodern ideas of, um, of you know, understanding how meaning really works and how meaning formation really works, and and like you know, what do words mean and what does meaning mean, and then, um, and so then you get into you know, like Alul was a at heart a Marxist, right? So like even for all of his Calvinist Christianity and so forth, that Alul was at heart began with Marxism, and then. Um, somebody I think you would enjoy, Matt, is um, uh, is Augusto del Noce, because del Noce does like um, like Malcolm. He takes Marxism very seriously, and then argues that um, the, res- the the response to modernity, to the death of God, that you see in both Marxism and fascism, is not an either or, but there is a third alternative: is to say that no, God is not dead, and there's a living tradition within the Christian community. And that's really where I put my stand on and say that, no.
0: That's no, in the not. crisis of modernity, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, right. yes. I, I have a copy of that. I have not you read it should, since college. You should, um, I need yeah, to reread it apparently.
1: <laughs> Augusto, Augusto del Noche. Yeah. Um, that's right. And, and you, you should, you should read that, that book. And um, yeah, Carlos, Um. Lancelotti has done a, an amazing job of, um, in translating those works because it gives you a frame, because the, the other big issue in there that he talks about, and this is one that I have, that's really pressed upon me since reading this book and, and something that had been kind of in the background, but you really didn't have the language for it, is that you saw this in COVID, is that one of the crises of our era is a crisis of authority. So, the, you know, the, this whole notion of trust the science, right? Well, what they mean by trust the science is trust the expert. Um, and, well, why does the expert have authority? And then you look at, like, say, a book like Scripture, right? You know, and there's, there's all the challenges, for example, to Jesus, you know. Well, what gives you the authority to say under whose authority um, are you operating? What, how can you, you know, under whose authority are you criticizing us? Us religious leaders, why? you know, who gives you the authority to say that? Um, and and then you look at it and you realize that a lot of our Christian faith is based, okay, on the authority of Jesus, but also significant portion of it is based on Paul's encounter of Jesus on the road to Damascus. So you accept the authority of Paul because, well, you know, I, I, I believe that he's a true account of, of who Jesus is. But ultimately, when it bore down to it, it comes down to I believe that Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that gives him the authority to speak to me, and 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 we don't want to confront this reality. So, what gives the what gives you know, um, Dr. Fauci the authority to speak? Well, he would say it's his science, and I said, wow, in a postmodern context, I can completely poke apart your whole knowledge theories. Blah 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 blah. Um, what really gives you the authority? Well, ultimately, the authority rests on Dr. Fauci. He's saying you need to trust me because I'm. I, I I am the equivalent of Christ or or Paul that, quote unquote, the science has spoken to me. And now I'm speaking it to you. And that's really, you know, so we have substituted like credentialism. I have a degree from Harvard. Therefore, you must listen to me. Um, that's what gives me authority. And that's that is, I think, the real growing crisis of our age. And so I've written pieces on this that, you know, um, and, and again, too, you get to things like, say, uh for example it comes down to like interpreting the supreme like the the constitution right so originalism is a form of fundamentalism right it's you know like the plain the plain meaning of the text it's just basically like biblical fundamentalism um but really when it's what you're relying on is the interpreter so do we have a trustworthy interpreter well okay antonin scalia was a trustworthy interpreter so you listen to him you know um Justice Thomas is a trustworthy interpreter, so you listen to him. Well, it's really vested in the person. And so Del Noche talks a lot about this this notion of authority, and I think that this is coming to a crisis in our society, but, like, who has authority? And this is one of the things I think in building that alternate Christian community um, is that it gives us an opportunity to find people with, um, you know, the earned spiritual authority to, to lead. And that's, I think, where the crisis is: is that we don't have like who do who who on the right has the earned spiritual authority to to lead. And it, I mean, people would like to say Trump, but everybody kind of knows the truth of that: that that's you know it's more of a gong show than him really having the authority to speak. Um, so we don't really have anybody, um, and and that's really in many ways the crisis on the right is that there's no one of authority to speak for us.
0: No, that there there isn't, and that's sort of been. I think that we're coming to a point where I think that that's finally being sorted out. Well sorted out but also like finally I think the mainstream sort of conservative intelligentsia is really grappling with that question. Mm. Um and I mean like Michael Anton I think kind of got to it in inadvertently because his his Flight 93 election article for instance does not thoroughly address uh that, that this specific issue but when he's telling people listen, things are going to go far worse um down in hell in a handbasket with this Hillary, you know, presidency that perhaps you should rush the cockpit and <laughs> take action. And I, I mean, I, it, it was a, a sort of a bombshell of an essay when he wrote it anonymously um, yes. back in, in, in 2016. But I mean, he's sort of getting at the root of it saying that, listen, um if you reject this authority, then you probably should sort of, you know, um, hold your nose and actually vote for him. But, and, and this is sort of the thing that I, this is why I like Carl Schmitt so much is yes. because Schmitt kind of also gets to it very clear. Funny how the Germans kind of get it. But, uh, you know, when he writes political theology, I mean, he sort of, he nails it square on the head, I think in a lot of uh, instances in which Jarvin and other people have sort of tripped from that you are dealing really at root a theological question of authority. And I've said this before on air um, with Geo is is that, I love Robert Filmer, Sir Robert Filmer's Patriarcha. I love all the essays in the, the collection that Imperium Press has bought out. <laughs> um, but the problem is, this is that, you know, to me as a Christian, Robert Filmer's, you know, essay Patriarcha makes perfect sense to me, you know, from a biblical and from a Christian teaching perspective the, about, you know, God, the father, um, you know, submission of authority. Scripture is rooted in great patriarchal leaders. Like, yeah, monarchy makes sense. Um, you know, despite the fact that God will has warned the the Israelites what that what having a king would entail and all those evil things that he would do, um, you know, like to me it makes sense. But you know, because I as a Christian, you know, believe in you know the tree in Godhead, like it's going to be way easier for me to buy that argument than someone who doesn't. And, that, well, and think... that's
1: it, it, and ahead. and you're absolutely right. And and it it I think even for someone like me, it after reading Schmidt. It took me a little while for the full implications of what he's saying to sink in. And I think that's a lot of people who read Schmidt just because he's like insanely difficult. Most will pick up on a few things. all oh, friend-enemy distinction, you know, um, and, and the idea of sovereignty and a few other like key tidbits. And, and not really understand because Schmidt was often saying things to polite society in ways that polite society wants to hear them but the things themselves are um much more much deeper and much more piercing and in a sense attack and undermine the 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 current way that plate society was acting because this idea that and uh, in schmidt that and, and the reason why it's called political theology he calls law a miracle which is at first it didn't quite like what it it, it, it was hard to kind of grasp what he's meaning but then when you think about this issue of authority and what you what what schmidt is saying is that the person of the king now whether it's an actual theophany or not what what schmidt is saying is that when the king says this is the law it is the functional equivalent of paul meeting jesus on the road to damascus and this is that old german idea of of sort of the magic blood of the chieftain Right. So -hmm. there was something special, charisma, there was something special in the chief. So the king has this role. So they are subject um, to God who is sovereign. They're his visible representative here on earth. But then when the king speaks law, he's speaking as if God is speaking. So there is this miracle. So you ask, well, where does law come from? It comes from God through the miraculous voice of the king. And you're like, and that's really what Schmidt is saying. And he says, we have lost that in society. Because you see, now we have this closed system of rationality, but law doesn't come from anywhere. It's not grounded in anything. And he says, eventually there's going to come a point where law has to be grounded and the only place, and once you've understood with postmoderns, there is no certainty in knowledge. There is no certain knowledge. And this is the thing that people have to grapple with, and conservatives have to grapple with. There is no certain knowledge. And I, I hate to break it to you like, you can talk about universal truths till you're blue in the face, but they're always instantiated in a historically bound situation. So even though you can, t- even talking about a historical tr- or a universal, is talking about it within a historical situation. And you can play word games or whatever and say, well, there's, you know, you know, say things, there is no such thing as universal. Truth. Well, I just made a universal statement. Well, okay, yes. But um, at a certain point in time, you know, God can make a stone that he can't lift. We can do all kinds of language games. But when you look at the nuts and bolts of, of language, eventually it comes down to the fact, um, where is authority? And this is what what Schmidt eventually realized is that once you put to death, the old order with the miracle of law, the only option you have left is the dictator because you don't have the spiritually that uh, the spirituality that underlie um, and and gave foundation to the King speaking as a miracle. So now all you have is the will to power in the, in the dictator um, which was sort of that, that hyper-realistic sort of view from uh, of, you know, like real politic of Schmidt. But I think, and this is, again, why I'm a big supporter of building an alternate Christian community, the ghetto community, is that at least initially, while you're small, it gives you the space to reestablish this connection with true authority, to find people who do actually speak the miracle of law. And this is very, people are very, very uncomfortable with this. And this is the reason why the regime wants to destroy the Christian church, because they do not want the active voice of God, the miracle of law, speaking to them. And people don't really get this, but this is really, the, and that's what the one thing that Del Noche does really understand, is that it is, it is ultimately, he doesn't just say the transcendent, he actually mentions the, the S word, the supernatural. And he realizes mm-hmm. that there has to be a supernatural component to this. It can't be kind of an abstract theological, you know, the, the academic kind of, of understanding of the transcendent. He says it actually has to be a real connection with God. With a, the, you know, and this is your supernatural grounding of society. And it's still in a person who connects with the, the, the person who speaks the word of God, the recognized prophet or the king or whatever. But sooner or later, somebody must ground their words either in their own power or then in that you know, you trust in a sense of like, yes, Paul really did meet Jesus on the road and thus his words are trustworthy, the miracle of 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 scripture and pronouncement. Because even Paul recognizes he'll say if he, I think there's that one section he says on this issue, I don't have any specific word from the Lord, but using my own judgment there's what I have to say. And you're yeah, like he oh. he's
0: done that. I think that you can find that in um, Yeah Corinthians, I think it Corinthians, is Corinthians, and I think it's also in Thessalonians.
1: Yeah. Um, and you're like, Oh, that and that, it, it, it you know what when you think about, it, okay, that's pretty interesting. But then, when you understand this notion of God speaking through the through the leader, all of a sudden that makes sense. In a sense, yeah, I don't have a specific word on this, but as a trustworthy as the man who has the earned spiritual authority to speak, here's what I say.
0: Well, that that in um, in in Galatians, he makes it very clear that he has spent a considerable length of time with Peter. And, yes. uh, in Mark. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that the apostles approve of what he's saying. Uh, yeah. Know, that, exactly. exactly. And I mean, that I'm not standing and, and that he has the authority or the trustworthiness enough to even rebuke Peter on the issue of, you know, you're, you're focusing so much time trying to convert the Jews. Like we still have this spirit of adoption thing with the Gentiles that we need to take care of. So yeah. it's just like the, the first few chapters of Galatians are just like a, a very wild take on how we're seeing sort of, uh, Apostolic back and forth go in there, which is why it's one of my favorite um, epistles of the New Testament, uh, just because there's that glimpse of of history. And I mean, that was one of the bigger reasons, also, as to why um, coming back to Christian, like my my coming back to Christianity, was very much a a, a um encounter with my own mortality in my mid twenties, and I was like, oh, I should probably get right with him. <laughs> so exactly. better better start reading the good book once more and figure out what to do next. But um, no, I, I think that. And this is the big thing that I – that's the reason why I mentioned that safety bit earlier from the conversation I had with this – I think he's Presbyterian. Um, And, you know, he's just like, they feel safe. And I was just like, well, you feel safe because also you're in the United States. You know, like we still have – for the most part, we still have that legal protection and you still have a sizable plurality of people that are church-going or that call themselves Christians and believe. And you don't have that in places like England or in Canada, where England is so dechristianized and secularized that, you know, they're having Ramadan services in old cathedrals that, you know, people are arrested for silently praying before abortion clinics, that people wearing, you know, cassocks are being sort of roughed up by the police. And I mean, in Canada, I'm sure you, you, I mean, you saw the whole thing break down with COVID where it's that soft authoritarianism as you described. So I said, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not just that small Christian minorities in Protestant America feel safe and like you guys have it too. And, um, and this is a big reason why I'm talking on his, on his thing on Friday, but I, the reason why I liked your piece, although I, maybe, I mean, selling, maybe selling the, the idea of a Christian parallelism or outside of it as a ghetto, historically accurate to some extent. Um, I don't know how well you can sell that to other people. Cause you know, if you want to join the ghetto, you know, right.
1: Well, it's, it's, I think it's, it's more a sense. It's not so much pitching to people, but it's a sense of how do we understand ourselves? And, and like, let's take a breath, people step back and just remember who we are. Cause we're in a society where still superficially at least we're majoritarian Christian, but, what does it mean to be part of the Christian community? So you have to sort of step back and say that, well, we weren't always majority. And it, 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 being a majoritarian clouds some of the issues. So if we get back to it, it's like, yeah, no, they, you're not really trying to, to say, hey, become part of the ghetto. But what you're trying to do is to say, hey, um, here you will find a home and you will find your people right? This is, we are a people. And that's not so much the ghetto thing, but we are a people unto ourselves. So you can come here. You may not feel home in your own neighborhood. You may feel lost and alienated, but I guarantee you, if you're among us, you will feel at home. This, this will be your place.
0: Yeah. No, I us. I agree with that. And, um, you know, and again, I, I had bought some of the works um, or that biography of the, of, of Pliny, both Pliny the Elder and um, Pliny the Younger from, Based on Charles's recommendation, and I don't know if you bought that one or read that one, um, but you know his conversations, um, Pliny the Elder, and his conversations with um, the Emperor Vespasian. You know, is just like, well, what do we do with these Christians? You know, because they're concerned about you know heteraria. You know, you're this non, you're a heterodox. You know, not part of this sort of homogeneous Roman community, and that you know these Christians aren't doing anything, but they're not you know, they're not like us. And ergo, they're sort of a threat, which of course only compounds the, you know, Roman persecution of the Christian church until, you know, Edict of Milan. But I, I, that's the way I view a lot of things is, is that I feel like in the West, we've gotten so comfortable in this pluralism and this safetyism that uh many, I think, sort of modern day Christians don't realize that like, you know, we signed up for something that, you know, can potentially, and oftentimes in the past costs us our lives. And, you know, we are to look for a, a kingdom that's not on this earth. And I, I'm glad that you had, you had wrote that within your own, um, in your own text, you know, about John 15:19. if you belong to the world, you would love, it would love you as its own, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. you. Um, in the same way, right, he sort of kind of makes it clear on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil falsely against you for my sake. It's just like, he's letting you know. Yeah, the take Lord up your cross you know, and follow me. <laughs> you know, take up your cross and follow me and what that will endure. I mean, all but John are, are martyred of the original 12 and yeah. there is a laundry list of martyrs that are, are venerated and celebrated throughout the church. And it's just I feel like to me, like that's what you sign up for in this belief and to serve God. And I think that that's a very tall order for a lot of, I think living in sort of a secular post-Christian West, that that's what you're going to have to endure. And um, it's one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because I'm. I mean, I'm talking about this again on Friday, and I have more points to discuss. But sure. um, I I like your work, and I was just like I wanted to. I wanted to discuss this with you because I because you put out this essay. Like, I'm not a Christian nationalist, and I and I haven't read Wolf's book. I I have a copy. I have not read it yet. I read the Andrew Torba Andrew Isker case for Christian nationalism, which was just. Meant for, I think, evangelical boomer cons and woke oh, school moms. This some of the
1: stuff is I've read. I read some of the the previews, and th- it, it's just it's, it's so cringeworthy that it's it's almost not because serious. it's
0: because it's not for us. Well, maybe yeah, just, you, because you would explain. I think you had said. And I don't know if this is. You said you were like a pastor for some time. I was yes. okay. So. You know, I'd imagine maybe it might apply to you to some extent, but to me, I was reading this and I was thinking to myself, this is maybe for my grandmother or a Gen X um, married woman that wants to ensure that like, you know, we're not, we're not having the pastor celebrate abortion or whatever. Like I, this is, this is more for their yab reading Christian, you know audience than, say, myself. But, you know, I I think that some of the things that were in there were, I think, relatively practical and sort of a low church environment. So Mm. I, I can't bash it too much. Plus, I'm not in a low church environment. So perhaps what they're suggesting would work for you know the the cowboy church down the road from where i live rather than my parish you know <laughs> well
1: and, see here's the thing though too right like and this is why you make you make that i made that point in the essay is that you know it's easy to get wrapped up in in secular political discourse right and you get know, talking about the man of destiny and whatever and like you know and you think to yourself wait a minute i'm um, i'm a christian the 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 man of destiny has already come <laughs> You know, and so, you know, we as Christians are not, and this is like Augustine reminds us, you know, we as Christians are running on a different history track than the rest of you. You know, we are part of God's history. And so we're not part. Now, that being said, you know, when it comes to... uh, I, I really do think that, that sooner or later, the regime is really going to figure out that the, the Christian community really is a threat and they're going to stop trying to just undermine it through sex and sexuality, that, they're go, that, that hard persecution is likely in some form going to come. Um, and so maybe it'll be thrust upon, upon believers, right? But I, I'm not opposed to the idea of Christians conscious of their identity as a separate community gathering together, I mean, we, you know, I, even as I say in the essay that, you know, you know, you're not a, an American Christian, you are a Christian who lives in America. And that's, I think that a lot of people get lost in this, but as a Christian who lives in America, um, you are still under that umbrella. So you do have interests and this is the kind of thing where like somebody like Alul, his kind of realism is very valuable. So in that realistic perspective, you know, one of the necessary things that you might have to do as a Christian community under the larger umbrella of the GAE is recognize that we as a church have certain interests and it might be incumbent upon us to band together as a people to have our interests represented in the public sphere. So I'm not opposed to the idea of, say, you know, like the old school, a Christian Democrat party or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, or like, I, I wish they wouldn't use a term, but a Christian nationalist party. But um the... the well, they, you know, the
0: Germans kind of have a uh, they have yeah. sort of the first dibs on Christian Democratic Union, although there's nothing Christian about well, that party at all.
1: You, if you get into it, though, and you have to take somebody like Lul very seriously, he says, because... The necessities of politics will have an inherently corrupting effect on your faith. So either you will end up looking like a hypocrite, or you will be ineffectual. One of the two. He says those are really your only two options because the exigencies of politics demand um, will demand that you compromise your faith to to realize that. And that's why um, understanding the heart of who we are is so important. Because if you just run pell mell into this notion of Christian Christian nationalism or Christian politics without understanding the essence of who we are as a separate Christian community, you will just, you will essentially just corrupt and destroy the Christian community as a whole because of your politics, Um, because you allow, you basically open the door and become you, you stop being a church, and you become a political entity, and in which case you enter, you 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 thrust the church into that kind of Machiavellian world that Alul talks about in the Illusion of Politics. Is that so? All of the exigencies of politics will um will press themselves upon the church, and you will find yourself um very quickly um, compromised and rendered ineffectual. I mean, this is. One of the reasons why the old guard Republicanism is is so dead is because they try to do this honorable, polit- you know, Queensbury rules policies. Well, they just look like effect- ineffective buffoons.
0: And they look because... like beautiful losers, as it's been exactly. described.
1: Yeah, um, because they don't, they won't do the hard things necessary. So. If somebody says to you, well, you know, pastor, I would like to get into politics. I feel God's leading me into politics. The first thing I said, well, do you know what you're getting into? Because you are going to have, you, you will imperil your salvation by doing so. And you have to very much realize that this business of politics is going to, by necessity, will corrupt you. And this is why I think, you know, in a, in a healthy, flourishing society, having two separate institutions, the political and the religious the church are, are are very potent function because they work hand in hand the the politician is free then to do the things that are necessary but having done them the politician also has a means of restoration in the church that he can come you know like henry the 4 and kneel at the at the foot of the church and um receive absolution for his necessary sins. Both realize that it's a formality that he had to do what he had to do, but under grace, he is also forgiven because he's dealing with a sinful world. So the violence, deceit and whatever not that he was, he was forced to do to be King um, can thus also fall under God's grace, but don't try to convince God that what you're doing is a good thing. And that's, I think what a lot of Christians don't understand is that, you know, okay, Christians in politics, but, you know, you're not fooling anybody. Just don't try to convince God that, that what you're doing is a good thing. It may be necessary, but it's not good. It's the lesser of two evils. Um, just as the same way, taking up arms to defend the Christian community may be necessary, um, but that doesn't thereby make it a good because God didn't create the world to have violence. And so, yeah, we may have to take up arms to protect our fellow Christians, um, and but at the same time, we will... Um, our hearts will weep in so doing, right? And that's, I think, this is why it's good to be able to think theologically about the world as as opposed to sort of boxing all of these things up into different categories.
0: Yeah, no, I I do agree with that because, you know, one of my favorite texts outside of scripture, and, you know, Lord knows I have plenty of, of texts to read in respects to Christianity. But one of my favorite books um, has been on Christian ethics from uh, at least in the Orthodox tradition, St. Basil the Great. And I mean, it's just a very concise, you know, here are the things that concern what is the Christian ethic and what is it meant to be mm-hmm. in respect to, and I mean, he doesn't cite anything except, except scripture. So this is something that I think is very accessible even to, um, mm-hmm. More of the sola scriptura tradition, but you know when he's talking about there are a few passages in here that have really stuck out to me in this conversation because it's been sort of my go-to outside of you know the good book on what on how I approach things because I've said in other essays that you know one of the things I do on a weekly basis is to give lectures on international relations and politics in sort of a you know PowerPoint lecture style format because I feel like you know that's something that a lot of people don't know it's sort of a niche it's what I studied in college. But I always tell myself, and I've said it in multiple pieces, I said, I keep James 3 in my mind at all times when I do this stuff online. Because people ask you for advice. People want your take and opinion on things. And I'm like, well, teachers are judged more strictly. And, you know, I, I keep that in the back of my head at all times. It's just like, well, you know, like, I, like I'm like i not a big follow. Like, I don't have a big following. I have like 14,000 people follow me on Twitter. Like, that's still of an order of magnitude beyond Dunbar's number. And that to me is, is sort of like, I should keep that in the back of my head at all times when people ask for mm-hmm. my opinion. That's why I like Twitter. Like, that's why I'm always so torn. i I'm like, I want to shit post like, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to like, you know, give people the best honest take I can on things, but like, yes. it's so easy to post like the, the Apustaya calling somebody, you know, retarded or something like it's, the temptation is there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but This,
1: this is the thing though, too. Like, I think that, that, you know, um, geo is really good about because you know and and others i mean i've said it too but one of the thing about meme culture is that it it really breaks through a lot of the noise like i can write a 20 page or a 20 post thread about something and it could be great but if you get the right image with a quick one-liner you know like five words you know um some of the biggest tweets I've had are, you know, an image that I saw or like a screenshot of somebody else's tweets. And you just like some little arch ironic, um, offhand comment. I just sort of threw it out there and I'm like, Oh, that got a hundred thousand views. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, you're just like, um, and, and so the, it, it's, I, I think there is again, this record, like we were talking about this recognition that, um, sometimes twitter will make you feel dirty um but again you, you, breaking through the propaganda fog of the regime um sometimes means that you have to there has to be a few dead bodies stacked up <laughs> and 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 sometimes it means that in a polite gathering i would never be that unkind um oh of
0: course Right
1: yeah, now, and I, you, I,
0: I I agree with you. I mean, you get a couple of buddies with me with
1: a few beers in us in, <laughs> in a situation where no, not going to be overheard. Um, that may be a different story. And you know, in in my work, I get out to meet a lot of people who are very cautious about their politics, and and then um, they it's surprising once they understand that you're safe voice, the degree to which people will open up once they know that they're not going to be canceled. Like I had a conversation with a guy from um, who's now living here in Canada from North Carolina, and we were talking about gun laws. And it's like, and we were talking about like, like AR-15s and stuff. It was like, and like, it's like, dude, you know, and we had somebody here who was Canadian. It was like another person in the party who was a little shocked at just how far we were going with this, you know, the whole idea of, Um, taking away the monopoly of violence from the state and whatever. And they were like, like it was just something they had never heard before. Right. And I said, you know, I I said, I don't want to buy a rifle or an AR 15. I said here in Canada, I said, I want to conceal carry. And the other guy from North Carolina, he was just like, like pointing me like right in the eye. I said, that's it. He says, um he said that's when you know that you have that that you have Second Amendment rights, you know. And so in a private space in Canada, like you can't say that in public, you know. Oh heavens but Yeah, no. I want I want to walk around with a gun all the time. I don't want to use the thing. I just want to walk around with a glock on my hip. You know? And I mean, I walk know.
0: around with a gun on my hip when I go out, so you know. This is <laughs> you like- know. I, 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 take how you for, I take that for granted so yeah, often and, i'm just like i have i have it in my car i have a gun in my car i have a gun on me usually when i'm out in the town or if i'm out in the I woods know. doing what i was just like I, I don't think about it and then i like listen to you guys and i'm like oh, i thank god every day for what i have on my head um, well, that's
1: exactly it right and it's like i i know that the state you know i might die trying but i know that the state Um, does not have a monopoly on violence because I carry it. Like, my wife is totally shocked by these kind of things because, you know, (laughs) But,
0: um, but you can you know, see why she's so concerned about you doing these
1: things. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Right. So it's yeah, you know, and and the other thing is too, like if I'm down here in my office talking, she has to listen to me, right. She can hear me through the door or whatever. And it's just, I get going and I got a big voice and it carries and, you know, and it's just like, so the whole house has to listen to me ranting about, you know, um just going off on this, that, or the other thing. So yeah, there you go.
0: Um, well, good. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said there's some there's some tactical ways that, or practical or even dare I say pragmatic ways to to approach things i might i mean even in jesus's ministry there had been multiple times where he would he would go to a town and preach the the gospel and they'd be so like taken with fear and he he believe or yeah. um where where is it where um I think it's in like Matthew 12, where it's just like, uh, the Pharisees run out to go and destroy him. And so he, Jesus is just like, all right, I'm out of here, you know. And I mean, he tells us that also earlier in, in the gospel of Matthew. It's just, um, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. And I mean, they do this in Acts and throughout most of, I mean, all of the Old, New Testament. And it's just, I, I feel as if, um, I mean, we, we talk, I mean, it's such a built in sort of tradition for uh, Americans has always been to like, when, when stuff gets rough, you just pick up and go somewhere. Exit has always been an option. And I mean, that's a big reason why I, I think for the, the, the regime of either my country or yours, there's always been that adamant focus about, well, if we can limit exit, if we can make things unaffordable, if we can make things, um, impossible for you to leave, then like, you know, you don't have that option. You can't have that rear guard action or that redoubt. And I've, you know, said other, other places that we're going to enter a position, I think, in regards to the faith that it will be like those early days where, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like it will be urban and you're going to have to be very careful and things like yep. that. I mean, there's, um, there's a, a church down, um, not too far from me that's a it's a college it's in, it's based on one of the big college towns in dallas and uh in that giant sort of mega city it's getting close to the uh megapolis the spangler would describe it but and the road infrastructure for dallas is made for like a million people like less than who actually lives there so you get the millions must die meme in the back of your head every time you're driving down the road um Looking like the, the Chud Jack that, you know, some people do, but uh it's made out of it's a it's literally a church house uh, or a house church that you would see out of the Old Testament in Paul's letters. And, yeah. you know, it's this old and I guarantee you it's a converted frat house or something. It's this giant McMansion looking thing. And, you know, they have got their what the library has been converted into the temple. You have a great little kitchen area for people to meet and they use the other rooms to teach classes to the inquirers and things like that. It's just lovely. Um, but it's in the middle of this densely packed city and and are surrounded by all of these apartments um, not too far from, uh, I think, from SMU. And it's just like, that's great. And that's necessary, I think, in a lot of respects. It's not going to be as easy of a target. And yep. my brain thinks like that because, like, well, I just witnessed everything that happened in Canada over the last, like, last was it was it twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one summer, yeah. where they just decided to burn a dozen or so Catholic churches, if not more.
1: Well, and then blame it on the churches because yeah, and were, blame it on the
0: churches, despite the fact that
1: because Christians were not sufficiently repented of the massacre that never happened.
0: Yeah, because there know? was and, no proof that. Yeah, well, there and, were these unmarked mass graves. Wow, well, and
1: not only that, but um, the 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 dirty little secret is okay. There, there were there were abuses. There were like sexually abusive priests, and and the stories are there. But you also have to remember that the government thrust these kids um, onto the churches to to quote unquote deal with them, and they underfunded them, gave them few too few resources, and so you had um, overworked priests and pastors and educators working in an environment where they were underfunded, you know, um, too many kids to deal with, um, you know, and, and the, 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 the conditions were um, in many ways, you know, yes, yeah, so that it becomes like that, the, those prison environments, right, where the guards become harsher because they're in a prison. And so in some ways, the situation was almost set up to be a disaster. Um, from the get-go and so yeah it's sad and it's tragic and and i uh, think but the way it's being propagandized right now is is appalling that um you know that to for the prime minister of a country to basically say it's okay for you to vent your rage about what we say happened to these children um onto christians because that's a good thing and you're like um are are we really sure this is where we're going as a society? And they're like, yep, this is what we're going to do. And then, you know, um, churches are burning and you're like, okay, that's good. And, um, you know, now you have what was at the, the church shooting yesterday, right? So um, my liberal friend calls me and says, so when are you going to start being serious about gun laws? And I'm like, then an hour later, oh, um, the school is a Christian school and the shooter is um, non-binary and like,
0: Huh. I was uh, last night, my, my parents were talking about that and they were like, I don't understand. What do you mean? Like, this doesn't fit the narrative. I said that, you know, that because a, the narrative has been hidden from you. And, well, and it's like a woman did this. And I was just like, um, you do understand that this person identified as X, Y, and Z. And they're like, Oh, well, I we didn't know that. And I was like, yeah. And three nine year old Christian children are, have were killed in that three teachers. Um, and they, uh, and I realize that they're, they're sort of your normie con type people where they'll, they'll, they are the unironic Yellowstone appreciators. Yeah. And it's just, and I, I realize that's really who the, the, those, those, those television shows are for. Cause it's like, it's not meant for, for me who's been, um, the I guess liberals were right that, you know, the, the internet was a great way to radicalize sensitive young men. And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> they were right about that, and I kind of I don't, I, you know, oh, yeah.
1: Anon, right? The they, the liberals are
0: the woke are more in the mainstream, yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> And it's just like, well, you know, okay, so be it. I am here, and I, but at least yeah. I can back up what my what my beliefs are based upon my reading. I am not someone whose personality is by algorithm, no, uh, not exactly. But you know, this is a, a big thing that I, I've noticed with with this um, with what's happened in Canada is that yes, there does need to be a need. Um, for some sort of network. And I do look at what Christians in other countries have done um, as sort of an example. I mean, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot that can be learned from how the Russians dealt with communists. I think there's a lot that can be learned from how Christians in Egypt or in Israel are handling their own respective persecutions by the state that it will be, you know, thrust upon us to accept the fact that these things are going to happen more often and that we need to generate a network of Christians to do it. And I mean, the reason why I also brought up the plenty thing earlier is because like they are that, that heteraria, they, they view themselves as Christians first. The, the kingdom that we want to have is not of this world. And we expect it in the life of the age to come. And this is where you immediately get all of the more secular or racially focused right-wingers and nationalists to hate Christianity because Again, we, it's the same problem that the Romans had with us. This is that look, you know, it could be Rome today, and it could be, you know, it could be captured by the Visigoths tomorrow, and it could be a totally different location. That's not going to change my identity no. at all. I, I will follow Christ until the end of the age and to the end of my life, and I pray that I kept the race and that I fought the good fight. Like that's a very different order for people, and I mean, this is why you know arianism was such a popular heresy because the idea of god being or of christ being a created being and not co mm. you know the the pre you know sac, you know the pre lamb ready for the slaughter before all time like that's a you know it's a lot easier for them to understand you know like oh christ is a hero or a demigod rather than you know that's right. and and so it, he, no, becomes another
1: part, he becomes another part of history.
0: Yeah, he's another, he's another great man of history. He's another, you know, he's another yeah. just person to put on some like weird pantheon of heroes. Whereas no, like this is the son of God, you know, part of the trinity, this mystical being that we have spent 2,000 years trying to understand both apophatically and cataphatically that yeah. we have, that we've only yet to really begin to do so and very few of us really do. And, like, that's a tall order for anybody to understand. In the same way that I am – there's a friend that I like to have dinner with who is a, a traditionalist Hindu. And, mm. you know, I don't know anything about Hinduism, and I rely on him to explain it to me. And, like, to me, um, the more he explains it, the more it's very easy to put the pieces where they are in this, like, pantheon of how the Vedic texts work, how how their sure. faith system operates. And I'm like, well, that's a lot easier to understand than what I've been called to – to follow, you know, and it's not to, it's not to denigrate Hindus. I, I, you know, as, as Paul says in in Acts, you know, like I preach Christ crucified. I'm not here to blaspheme against other gods, but, um, I, I do think that that's something that, you know, and this isn't the first time that this conversation has been had. I think that Lambda covered it quite well, where he's just like, there are going to be parts where sort of quote unquote, like these right wing dissident, right, nationalist types. Um And Christians can get along, but then there are other places where Christians will say, we can't go all the way. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, like we can have um, odd bedfellows in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens all the time throughout the history of any sure. sort of political system. But I think that if you do really believe that, you know, there, you're going to come across the fact where there's going to be people that you consider political allies that will one day hate you. Mm-hmm. And I think that they need to to come to terms with that. And that's been the sobering sort of. This has been thoughts in my head for like the last six months. And I don't talk nearly enough about religion on my channel because most of my audience aren't. My audience are probably majority Christian. Others are are not because I do yeah. have odd bedfellows politically. <laughs> but well, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. they
1: make for interesting conversation. But this is you know again one of the the values of um, a Jordan Peterson is he introduced me to Marcia Eliade. Um, and Eliade reminded me of something that you know again these common places that you don't really think about but um, Christians have a different view of history than than the 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 regular western world because in the Western world, especially since the, the rise of humanism, you've placed humanity at the center of history, right? So the great man and great men. But for us, our history is the the story of, you know, creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and the second coming. And that's, that's our history. And so, you know, I, I think... It, it's, you know, watching the political landscape and you're seeing, you know, um, the normie cons, the secular Republicans or secular conservatives, you're seeing the Nietzsche boys and like a whole bunch of like, so there's this this whole broad spectrum of, of dissent, you know, the IDW crowd or whatever. But if you pay attention to say somebody like Augusta Del Noche, that in, in when push comes to shove, the real enemy of the regime is the Christian who believes in a transcendent supernatural God, because that is a different source of authority. And then we have not reached the point yet where those battle lines have become so clarified um, and, and the persecution. But my, my thought is this, that over time, all of those secular, quote unquote, allies will fall away as as the battle lines get more and more intense um and it will be a thing that at its heart is um christian in the end and so and i think christians need to get ready because the handwriting is on the wall it's coming you know when 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 you know when crazy people can go in and shoot up a christian school and the regime apologizes for them um you know that that the The discourse is changing, and things are that moves are afoot, Um, and and that's this. This is kind of the moment where we're at. And so, Christians have seen, um, you know, empires come and go, cultures be born and died, and we're still here. And you know, until Christ comes, we're we're going to continue to be here. And all the tools have been given to us to continue. We can repent and believe, embrace the Spirit of God. And disciple one another in the ways of the Lord, and if we get back to that basic, the rest begins to flow outward from there. Yeah, I... and maybe I'm speaking as a pastor now. You know, well, that's, no, no, this no. Is no a but I mean, I, well, that's, th- th- that's kind are,
0: of those are the important things I think people do need to hear. And I don't think that that message at all is one that is for a specific church or denomination. like no. look, I mean, there are and the same thing with churches, right? In terms of belief, you know, there is a church. Um, in Dallas, and I only know it exists because I saw a billboard for it. But it was called the Relevant Church. Yes, I heard about this one. And it, it just made me laugh because I was just thinking to myself, "Well, the church has always been relevant, you know." Like, um, but I, you're trying to appeal to this this generation, and I get it. But on one hand, like I know that that church won't be around when push comes to shove. You likely know? not. No. Likely, like likely not, right? And so. No. It, it's, um, <laughs> it's
1: a difference between the seeker church and the finder church, right? So, you know, this, this is part of the thing with with church discipline is that the unfortunate thing is that you draw a boundary between who's in and who's out, right? And if you look at the teachings of Jesus, he was very counterintuitive. Like he often would say, like, well, why do you speak to them in parables? Well, so that they don't understand. And if you were to get up in a seeker church and say, well, you know what? I don't want any of you to understand what the message is. They would look at you like you are are crazy, right? And But yet at the same time, that's you know it's the pearl of great price. So there has to be, in a sense, a desire to seek it. And Jesus, people come to say, like, I want to follow you, Lord. And he says, yeah, go home. You don't really want to follow me. <laughs> you know, it's just
0: like... like Let a, the dead bury their own dead. Yeah,
1: yeah, the foxes have holes and whatever the son of man has no hole. You know what I mean? And you're like, like, dude, how do you build a church this way? And, you know, like, oh, those who want to find me will find me. And you're like, uh, you know, but then you realize that that the gospel is running on a whole different set of values, and in many ways, that part of the problem with the Christian church in North America is that we have embraced um corporatism and managerialism in our churches, and so we're trying to grow organizations and we're trying to sell the gospel instead of disciple believers, and and it it really does show me it was like like even my own church is is very much affected by it, but you know I'm still thankful and grateful that as stressed as as our fellowships are now, part of it is ethnicity, but you know, um, we came here to North America as as immigrants, um, and we have remained. Partly it is the Dutch Calvinism, partly it is the immigrant. But you know, eventually you kind of acclimatize yourself to the like, you know, if you go into Iowa, most quote unquote Dutch reform people um, they consider themselves Americans. I mean, they all have Dutch names, but they don't really. I mean, partly maybe they do a little bit, but they've been there since the 1850s. You know what I mean? Um, But they are still a distinct community and it's built around their church faith. And you go out to like rural Iowa. And it's a different place out there. And um, so even for me, you know, we made the mistake in many ways of saying, well, because of this this drive to to convert, you know, that, that the, the basis of we conquer through conversion. Wow, we need to get rid of the Dutch language. We need to get rid of Dutch hymns. We need to, like, people got to stop thinking of us as the Dutch church or the Dutch school. Um, and so we've worked very hard to get, get rid of a lot of these. But at the same time, as soon as you do that, um, you also get rid of the things that protect you from being, uh, you know, f- fully imminentized, as, as Del Nocci says, of the gospel sort of being emptied, right? So I think, though, if push comes to shove, I know that if persecutions hit, that, um, you know, like 75 to 80% of the people that I know are, are of Dutch Christian Reform distraction, right? And so our commu- our church community, I know who in if if push really came to shove and we really got battened down the hatches, uh, who friend and who enemy is. Right. Um, and that's kind of of where it comes. And I think that, you know, a broader broadly across the Christian community, you know, this whole thing of like a thousand different or 10,000 different denominations is going to have to very quickly go by the wayside because, um, you know, there's going to be two pipes of people, those who are Christian and those who are not. And it's coming to that way and you can see it growing. And um, I think it's time right now for us as Christians to grab hold of what we have and nurture it and foster it. And In this sense, you know, um, for all of his flaws, Dreyer was right. Um, but I think at the same time, we also have to be more realistic about it, too, that we have to understand that there may come a time where um, to survive, we have to take up arms. And that's, you know, yeah, that's probably, you know, if you had talked to me five years ago before COVID, like, um, and I was still, you know, that that thought would have never happened, uh, never occurred to me. Um, But now we're here. And this is the this is this is the moment that we're in.
0: Yeah, and this is the thing that has been in our minds a lot uh, down here, I think is but in our church as well, but also just in conversations I have with other Christians all over, whether you're battling The spirit of the age in regards to the political machinations, you know, and it's very funny because I have friends that are like very traditional high church, you know, they're, they're church going Anglicans and they just, they're distraught over what has happened with the Archbishop of Canterbury and what the Synod has, you know, done in England. And they said, you know, it's so funny that, you know, a lot of people go out of their way and will pay through the nose for traditional, you know, older services. Um, To have those books, to have an older version of the Book of Common Prayer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because that's what they want. They don't want these modern English, you know, versions. They don't want where the language has been watered down or modified for the common parlance. And the same Mm -hmm. thing you see in other churches as well. But I was outside and I'm actually going to do it again today. Um, On Tuesdays, I go meet with other parishioners for dinner. And we myself and a friend of mine who are both uh were unmarried and we go to our, our friends who are <laughs> who are married, they just had their third child, and we help take care of their sons and you know, we see them out and playing and it was the most pristine picture that you could ever imagine. The sun was setting and um ironically they live in front of a church, so of course the sun is coming down over And the only thing I could think of was this is not going to last forever and that you should really, it's these sort of memories and these sort of moments where things are going to get, you know, that you're you're going to rely on these memories and rely on the word when things get rough. And I don't think that that's a far out thing to say, uh, especially when you had just mentioned like, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to have to rely on one another. I mean, the history of the Christian faith and a lot of converts have been won over by the blood of martyrs. And I feel like that's going to happen again. And one of the books I've been reading as of late has been, um, father Seraphim Rose's sort of catalog of, uh, Russia's catacomb saints of martyrs and people that had been recently recognized in the 1980s for veneration. And, um, you know, he, his sort of dedication is just like to, to persecuted Christians. He's like today in Russia, tomorrow in America. And, I think we're coming very close to seeing that play out in the way that it is. And yeah, I mean, it's a tall order and I know that this all sounds doom and gloom to the audience, but if you are an actual church going person, a Christian and you're in these sort of circles, like you've probably already had these thoughts and that if that means you're going to be dealing with sort of the underground or a ghetto as corrupt has described it, like that's what it's going to be. And this is where your faith will be tested. And um I don't mean that lightly, you know, like and I, and I will again say this when I'm on Lambdas stream, it's just like one of the things that you sign up for when picking up your cross and following Christ is is that one of those days that may come at the cost of your life and your well-being. I mean, they threw Paul and Silas in prison, all of the apostles were martyred. There have been thousands and tens of thousands more throughout the history of the Christian faith. Um, you know, If you're lucky, yeah, you get to live to an old age and hopefully have a Christian ending to your life, peaceful and unashamed and with a good defense before the judgment seat. But if you don't, um, you know, odds are that means that you'll be persecuted. That they will throw you into the courts and into the synagogues and you're going to have to have that as an opportunity for testimony. So those are the things that I think are going to be really important for Christian faithful to keep in mind. That as the sort of proverbial noose gets tighter around the neck, that your words that you'll say with whatever oxygen and breath you have left will be the word and nothing else. But, uh, Kruptos, I don't know if you just went mute on there because you wanted to, to do it or if it was your microphone again, but, um...
1: I unplugged plugged in again because I, the microphone cut out. Um, the... It's interesting as you, as you say that, like, I mean, we joke on our side, like, you know, Austrian painterism and and so forth, but um, for, for many in, in North America living today, there's, they, they, there's a certain aspect that they don't understand. So, so for my grandparents um, living in the Netherlands uh, during world war two, you know, so as, as families, um, My families were and my relatives were involved in the underground and helped hide and funnel Jews out of out of the Netherlands. Um, And there was a great divide um, in Holland at the time of whether to um, uh, accommodate or to to resist and to fight. Right. And so, like you say, you have that at at that certain point where. You know resistance. You know that there's two choices when you say I'm not going to surrender in Smithian terms, right? Well, one is martyrdom, and the other is you take up arms. Like my my father was born. For the first couple years of his life, um, my grandfather was in hiding because he was part of the resistance, and so he could come home occasionally to restock and f- with food and so forth. But that was that was sort of the reality of the day that as, and part of the reason why they emigrated is because um, there was nothing left for them. Everything had either been destroyed or taken from them. And, um, and so they joined the the rebellion and, and the, um, uh, the underground and they fought and that's what they did. And, you know, we are getting to that point where, you know, Are Christians going to be part of the underground or not? And it's going to—you're going to see a live debate: Do we accommodate or do we become part of the underground? And and you know, should we just martyr or should we actually, you know, you know, what do we do with those in our fellowship who who have been involved in violence? You know, and and then like I'm reading a book currently right now, the the ethics of insurgency, right? Which um is is an interesting book because it flips the question around for people, you know, like, so, you know, many U S vets went to Afghanistan and Iraq. Right. And you, so you, you're on one end of human shields, IEDs and all the rest of these, you know, things and, you know, branded terrorists or the, 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 the Muslim fighters there as animals and so forth. And I thought to myself, this is going to be really interesting when a lot of these men are finding themselves in a position where they're the ones planting IEDs and using human shields because they're now forced to defend their communities um, by force of arms because that's going to flip on us eventually. And so what do we do with that ethically, you know?
0: Well, that was a big reason why after the first Gulf War in the 90s, you know, what is the big thing that the Bill Clinton, you know, puts into his sort of domestic politics is this concern about militias, the Second Amendment, these anti-government activists, and, you know, because you had disaffected guys coming back from Kuwait and Iraq wondering, well, what the hell? And... You know, so like, if you look at the case, for instance, of the Viper militia that they like said in Arizona, like, oh, these guys had automatic weapons. They were going to go out and like commit violent acts of domestic terrorism. All of the charges that they had, none of it stuck because the, like, the weapon charges didn't stick because they didn't actually have, you know, what they claimed, what the, what the state claimed. And I mean, and of course we now have a long history of federal confidential informants playing roles with extremists. I mean, there's the, kidnapping plot with Governor Governor Whitmer uh, of Michigan you know like oh there's a bunch of confidential informants and like one you know like it's it was the meme the Spider-Man pointing meme you know, like federal agent, federal agent, federal agent some poor autistic bastard and it was just like so true you know in the same way that even now with the Douglas Mackey case um, you know they have a confidential informant who is known as Mr. Microchip because that's his name on Twitter as an Anon that turns out to be a, a confidential informant for the feds Okay. And it's just like, this is what you're going to have to have to deal with and expect. And um, yeah, I mean, the the ethics of what is to come. And I always, but I, as an American, I always sort of like raise my eyebrow when we sort of talk about those things. And it's funny because Charles Haywood was talking about this a few weeks back where he had said something like, we're going to see a lot of these political theories get tested because, you know, people have guns in America. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't this just the rehashed red state has all the guns argument that we've been talking about for like, 30 years now, and we haven't ever seen anything take place outside of a few standoffs, and it's always just, I, I'm always very skeptical, maybe as a, as a gun-toting American, where I'm just like, I don't know how well we've done that. I mean, we got Waco, Ruby Ridge, I mean, we've had a few wins with the, 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 the Bundys doing their standoff, I think, with the Bureau of Land Management a few years back, but, man, they get so trigger happy to call people, um, Yal qaeda That's one of my favorite oh, yeah. ones. Ye, ye hottists It's another one that's that I right. like a lot. So I, well, I'm always, I'm always skeptical as to what comes next. Well, and this is, this is another,
1: you know, popular spectator sport on the right is to, you know, projecting what, um, the, you know, what the troubles are going to look like. Is it going to be like, um, North Ireland, you know, or is it going to be like the IRA? Is it going to be, um, you know, is it going to be outright civil war? Um, and, and, and so forth. And part of the problem with a lot of these theories is nobody really knows. All of them are possible. Um, but none of them are going to happen as long as things are still working as well as they are now. Like Nails. you, um, you know, like we went last summer to Europe right in the middle of the farmers, um, protests and they were happening all around us and the signs were there the farms were there because we were like our friends uh live right in the middle of farm country right so it's it was like your next door neighbors are 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 now dissidents you know what i mean but yeah um it's it, it it was also a thing while you were driving around and you're thinking that all of this dissident action is happening and yet You know, I just went to Howda to see a cheese festival. Um, And we just went to the F Telling to ride um, roller coasters for two days. And you begin to realize, you know, while you're on vacation in a foreign country halfway around the world, well for us, it's the homeland, um, halfway around the world, that, you know, life is still too good for too many.
0: Oh, I mean, you saw that with political uh...
1: troubles to really happen.
0: Well, you saw that sort I'm sure you saw that little famous video clip earlier with all the protests going on in Paris. And then you had like the middle-aged couple that were just having coffee uh, out on a cafe table, you know, while the the street was on fire. Like things have to get bad really, really, uh, really quickly for that to happen. It
1: it was interesting because um, my daughter was on a school trip during the, the most recent ones. And I kept joking, you know, so you didn't go join the crowds and burn an effigy of Macron. And, you know, that like, and then like my mom and dad are like, are you serious? Oh yeah. That's what the call you want to get from the, you know, French, French jails are a lot less friendly than North American jails. Right. But they was happening. So, you know, my daughter is texting me and, and she's like, dad, it's so beautiful here. It was a perfect day today. You know, and you're thinking like, yeah there's riots happening and they're setting fire to half of the city. and yet there's a you know um, a foreign visitor here just texting home telling her parents just how beautiful Paris is and how lovely it is to be. Here. well, well I,
0: I I can relate to that wholeheartedly because in the 2016 election, I had to go to a conference in Philadelphia. Now, Pennsylvania went red that year for the yeah. for Trump. But, you know, uh, Pennsylvania did, but Philadelphia is like the blue city holdout, the city of brotherly love where all sort of electoral shenanigans happen. But they were rioting. They were so upset that Trump had won the election. And you know what all of us at this convention did? We grabbed our drinks. We took them outside. (laughs) We smoked our cigarettes. And we followed the lights from the police helicopters and the news (laughs) choppers and followed the rioters and just watched. And drank and smoked and had a good time like a spectator sport watching these people riot and ship out over the fact that Hillary Clinton isn't going to be the next president of the United oh. States. And I'm like, I, I hold that as a memory. Cause I'm like, I'm never going to get that meant like that. They'll never take that away from me. They'll never take away how good I felt that shot yeah. Freud. But at the same time, I'm like, I was watching rioters just like destroy city property because they got upset over an election result. And I'm sitting there drinking and smoking and having a good time with friends. And I'm just, yeah. I'm like, wow. Like that's, I'm participating in that sort of spectator sport. And it's, and it's just funny to think about like, wow, you know, like what would animate me to, 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 to do that, you know? And um, And, and, it's just a crazy thing to think about because uh, nowadays, uh, because that was, you know, that was six plus years ago. Now it's just like, well, you know, I would hopefully be at my church making sure that parishioners are okay and that people are, being safe and if they need medical assistance we can provide it you know it's a lot different now oh yeah my mindset
1: well I, and i still think that you know if troubles are going to happen um i put out a tweet the other day you know you know in in Spenglerian analysis you know to say you know we all have these expectations of what quote-unquote caesar is going to look like right well Caesar's not necessarily going to have gold armor on and ride up on a horse, which is kind of, I think the mental image, you know what I mean? Um, It may not even be like Boris Yeltsin riding a tank into the city, you know? Um, But, you know, what if, what if blue Caesar has already been and gone in FDR, right? And then you sort of track out sort of the number of years after Caesar, and we're right on the cusp of, you know, if you track like sort of that number of years out from from Augustus to um, the next group. you I mean, you look at all the emperors, there was like Nero and Claudius and everything. And you think to yourself, well, we've had a couple of like a Nero's and Claudius's, you know, um, in between. And then you had your five good emperors about 60 years or so. And then after that, it was over. That was it was the end game after that. And so, you know, we may have a second golden period, but um, and maybe that's not the the historical comparison. But, you know, I still look and think there's enough excess in the system, despite how fragile our system is. There is a lot of capacity for the system to absorb more shocks, even with how fragile it is, um, that we are not going to get to the troubles, probably not in my lifetime, Um but it might be my children or my grandchildren. And But who knows? I mean, things can change fast and, and things, too. I just don't really expect it. Um, we're just probably going to have a, a gradual strangling of the noose. And I think this is why it's it's beholden upon us to wake up to the times that are coming and begin to prepare ourselves, not so much that we'll be ready, so that our grandchildren will be ready.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And... I think the other thing too is, is that what are we called upon? I mean, this is the whole big deal with the discussion in the gardens at the Mount of Olives is just, you know, we are called to be vigilant for these things. You know, there's Christ has said he will return like a thief in the night and that we are to watch and be vigilant for all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I tell, this is a thought that I have, I, I've, I've told others. It's just like, look you know on the whole rumor there will be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences it's just like if world war Two, the bloodiest conflict in human history was not it um you know that signified the return um you know imagine what it will look like and how you know you take the death devastation and destruction and displacement of world war Two, and you know if that was not the return right um yeah <laughs> imagine how bad it will be when he does And to keep that in your in the back of your head, I think for a lot of people that sort of ask about that sort of question, that all of that discourse, because you know we're meant to be vigilant. I mean, he and be careful. And the same thing. And this is why I always the the Caesar discussion. I always, you know, my I immediately think that there will be many that come and say, "Lo, it is he." This is or I am the right.
1: And I'm like, ah,
0: no, 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 I can't. And the same thing I say in the liturgy every Sunday: trust not in princes and the sons of men. (laughs) Yeah. Um, for in whom there is no salvation I, I you know like I think that for Christians you're just gonna have to be skeptical I, that's why I liked your piece because you know like like you had said earlier you know empires have risen and fallen and nations have come and disappeared and uh you know
1: We're some, still of here. Course,
0: we, do, we do have a long memory right I mean there are, are Greeks that have never never stepped foot into Turkey that will sing lamentations for the fall of Constantinople. But I mean, you know, like, um I mean yeah. there, there are Christians still there in in Constantinople. There, there are. There are Christians and there, I mean we still have bishops and presbyters of from all of the churches that were founded by the apostles. And so it's just like, listen, things will come and go, but um as it's my favorite bit actually from the, the Mount Athos documentary is that they interviewed a guy that's got all the bones you know the the crypt and he says the story goes that one day a monk came in on poskens that christ is risen and the 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 bones had replied indeed he is risen and the monk looks at the camera and he says you see life goes on and i always look at that little clip with a a sense of profound joy because you know if the if the troubles come in my lifetime if the great persecution comes in my lifetime so be it Uh, Mm -hmm. if not, then you know what? Um, life goes on and I will continue in the, in the eternal liturgy on earth at all times that is to to praise God. And I think that that's sort of the mindset I think we, we need to take away, regardless of your faith, tradition or denomination, that look, um, this is a part of a long-standing historical event when it comes to Christians. You are, you are in the world, but not of it. And you seek a kingdom that isn't of it. And you kind of already you have you have a whole bible you have a whole bit of scripture of the new testament the history of the christian church that tells you exactly what has happened and what to Mm -hmm. expect
1: well and i had a very wise um, new testament professor who said you know all of the conditions of jesus predictions of the end of the world have all been sufficiently fulfilled that it could happen anytime and jesus warns you if they say go out here and You'll find him and go out there and you'll find him, but he's not going to be there. And and the prophet said, he says, you know, when the end happens, you'll know it. And if you don't know it, it probably isn't happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so there and I think that it's good for many of us on the online right, you know, um, who I think some of us kind of secretly want the end to happen because we'd like to see it as you know there there is there is this unfortunate tendency on the right to believe that um ideas are all it will take to change the world and that um if we just get the right politician in place everything will be different and we don't have to do the work and the one thing that the left has realized is that like dude you got to do the work and <laughs> yeah um and so many on the right are starting to come to that realization that you know we have to build networks we have to people have to have a patronage reason why to vote for us um, they have to benefit materially from us they have to feel like their life is better um, by being part of the right um and they don't right now um and uh you know it, it's it and so we can look for messiahs and we can look, look for savior figures um and And I think we're we really like to do that sort of speculation, but really, in the end, you know um when the quote unquote man of destiny comes, you'll know he's the man of destiny, well, and then scripture also warns us he may not be the guy you think he is because the Antichrist has a strange way of imitating the real deal, right so um the guy that you put your trust in may not be the one that you want to put your trust in um so um again, be vigilant right so there's there's a lot of warnings out there, and I think that's why um in some ways, Voltaire was not terribly off base again, the woke are more correct. <laughs> <laughs> Candide, right? Just tend your own garden, and I think there's a there is you know the there is a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I was about
0: to say I don't know how well Cuvier Phaenon would like to be compared to Voltaire, but you know,
1: <laughs> I just just random bits just hit you, you know, like you can find bits of wisdom everywhere, right? I mean Ecclesiastes is the same, right? So you know, eat, drink, and find um, satisfaction in life before the Lord. Find satisfaction in your work before the Lord, you know, because God gives you food to drink, God gives you work to do and i think a lot of um christian life is about the small ball we want to we want to be men of destiny and do significant things whereas a lot of living before the lord is just enjoying the mundane things of life that he has given you um but also a lot of building um a flourishing community is about doing all of those mundane things that allow life to flourish, to eat and drink together and work before the Lord, um, which many of us don't because we're chasing after all the other stuff. We don't pay attention to all the other little things, right? Um, and and that's part of the challenge that we have. And, and maybe as things press upon us from outside, that'll encourage us to focus on the things that matter. But we have time right now. So why not? It's it's encouraging to see people doing it and talking about it online. Um you know, I mean, I, I know most of us look at it and think, um, well, okay, like how traditional is it to go out to the farm and then live your farm life through social media, but um, it's part of, you know, everything is commoditized today, so that, you know, there's it's steps and stages, I guess, right, so um, today's kids are not the kids of yesteryear, right?
0: Yeah, and, you know, I I think that at the same time, right, one of the things that has been a lot of discussion on the online right is we have all these little cults of personality we that do. we all have a following and we all sort of engage in the troll gaze. We all want to say things that are as uh a- bolsterous and uh, outrageous with authority that way people can follow us and our tweets can get like a million views or whatever um but you know one of the things that i do like and you know i know that not everyone likes them but one of the things i really do like about sort of the you know right wing bodybuilder bit is because Mm -hmm. you know they're focusing on making sure you're healthy and to make sure that you're not like that's a good use of your influence that's a good use of your it is. of your of your strength and your talents and your wisdom and if you can develop a a following that is making a bunch of jacked guys that want to you know live healthy and to make sure that you know the things that you put into your body aren't poisonous then like that's a great use of your of your talent and your time and i mean it, you know it says it in the wisdom of Sirach that the, the test of a man is by the way he reasons and you know, I, I think that Satan in a lot of ways is a rationalist where he will try and beguile you with false senses of logic and reason. And I mean, that's why the serpent was the most cunning out of all the animals in the garden. And I just, you know, I think that we have to be very careful with how we think about things that we as Christians, we are called by what God commands us, um, both in by scripture and what Christ in the word and what our churches are, are telling us to do. And that we should be, you know, reasoning out every day. Like, what am I doing to serve the Lord? And we are, we're called to ask that. I mean, it's, you know, whether it's in the Psalter, whether it's in Ecclesiastes, you know, not only are we to make a joyful noise for the Lord, but we are to, to serve him. And we shouldn't be trying to be, you know, there's a reason why Jesus and God doesn't have a thing for lawyers, you know, like when we, we try and test him, you know, like, well, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you already have the answer written down and, we have to do it. And if that means it has to be done in ways and means that are appropriate for the age, then so be it.
1: Well, yeah. And I, I think like your, like, by the way, I really enjoyed your troll gaze piece. That was, that no, was really you. good. Um, the, but I think like, and this is why too, even though, you know, philosophically in the end um, I would part ways with um, you know, the 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 right wing vitalist crowd you're absolutely right in the sense that it it has this idea it's you know in in Jordan Peterson's good phase you know the the idea of um clean up your room that there is a sense that even for Christians there's a certain sense at, at a certain time push comes to shove and you have to start working out your faith with you know fear and trembling. Um, and you know that you are in Christ in a new creation. Well, that's good, but why can't I see that, right? So you have to begin doing the things that reveal that in life. And part of that, yeah, a thing of that might be you are an embodied creature. So take care of your body, take care of your spirit. Um, don't you know it, it? Learn the ways in which the the regime is shaping your mind through propaganda, and. Um, if you have to maybe opt out of some of them to gain your thoughts back because many struggle with 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 dealing with that it, it's it's not everybody can can look propaganda in the face and you know sort of always see the tricks that are being Um, used on them, right? And so, you know, that's another role that we can have is to point people out. And so if you realize you can't handle that, maybe your decision is to step away and just gain your thoughts back a little bit, right? Um, But there's all these things that we can do in a positive way. And this is the the whole nature of discipleship, right? Taking each of these steps to sort of pull back the veil so that people can see who you are in Christ. Um, And I think that that may more so than anything else, you know, like as, as valuable as reading, say a Carl Schmidt is, or a, you know, a James Burnham, you're probably far better served to work on your relationship with the Lord um, and, and the, the world would be better served. Um, I said that I, just before we went on the air, I was writing a rant treat about the reversal in today's society um, about how the, the left are actually the conservatives today. And um, and because, you know, conservatism traditionally is the group that is preserving power, right? So they are trying to maintain the institutions that, you know, um, keep and support their power. So that's, those are the, conservatives are always those group. But I said that the reversal has come in a sense because they've used progressivism to co-opt the left, um, so now they're working hand-in-hand hand with the bourgeois business interests to, um, to to maintain their power and to achieve utopia through managerialism, but they vent their revolutionary spirit on those who are, quote-unquote, backwards and holding back progress, right? So now the, the backwards people are the um, the churches, right, with their backwards morality. So I said at the end of the thread, I just said, you know, Listen. If you want to be a real rebel, um, don't have sex before marriage. Don't pollute your brain with pornography. Get married. Stay married. Have kids. Um, don't be gay. Don't be lesbian. And don't be an alphabet person. And just and 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 then beyond that, um, you know, read your word, pray, go to church. Um, be part of a vibrant Christian community, and you will have done more to destabilize the regime than most. <laughs> Which is, and it's that's that's for me where it's really at. If like you do those things, you will put the fear of God into the regime because that's what they
0: hate. Absolutely, I, I don't have too much to really add there. I mean, I think that. <laughs> I
1: don't, I, yeah.
0: And this and this is a piece that um, and there's a gentleman out there whose Twitter handle and name actually irritates the absolute tar out of me, but um, he goes by PCM Christ uh, or please call me Christ, which I will never do. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah it, 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 he's he's this like I guess he's sort of on this like Nietzschean train or something. But he wrote a piece about how Cthulhu swims right, and he was more oh or my less word. It, it, yeah he was he was embracing the idea that like look. We are the subversives. We are this, like, destabilizing force. Like, we can, like... We should take action. We should do what we can to subvert this, like... Progressive, like fake and gay system. I'm like, I'm all on, like, okay, I get where he's coming from. I'm, I get the message. I'm somewhat on board because like, <laughs> like, yes, in a lot of ways we are, and I, I have a whole video on this on my YouTube channel called the hegemon of the revisionist. Cause I'm borrowing from international relations terminology where yeah, yeah. like the ruling progressive dogma is the hegemonic state. We're all these, we as conservatives, reactionaries, Christians, we're all these little re- revisionist states that want to make the world based and want to make it better and want to make it Christian. Um, you know, and so we're all, we're, we're not the dogmatic order of the world. Like, we, we don't adhere to, to progressive orthodoxy. And, um, and he's sort of articulating the same thing, but he's just saying like, oh, you know, Christians, they just wait for the return. They don't do anything. Whereas we should be vitalists and do things. And I'm like, historically illiterate, you know, but. Um, you know, like he's just like he's like a lot of young men, I guess, sort of like raging at things. I actually don't know how old he is, but to me, it's just like great. Like you're 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 halfway there. You're just not there all the way yet. Um,
1: yeah, this brings it back to like my piece that published yesterday, right? That that the idea of the Christian nation, right? Like, you know, yeah, it might be great to take back America, but what Christians have to realize is that. We win by surviving, by just being there. Because, you know, as Augustine pointed out to the to, with Rome, the, the church is running on a different historical, like ours is a different historical narrative. And so if we are here after America is gone, we've won. I mean, Christ has already won, but we, as the churches already have won. And this is the thing that I think that irritates the regime so much, is that they, they implicitly, you know. And this is the sort of, this is why, in a some sense, there's an argument that can be made that the regime is actually demonic. Is that, you know, that the spiritual entities that are pushing the regime know that the the the, the, the all that Christians have to do is just be there, and they win, because America will crumble and fall away and Christ's church will remain. And then we win. Now well, there'll be another regime. There'll be another Rome, another America, another, you know, thousand year Reich or whatever. And and the church will still be there until Christ returns. And this, I think that a lot of things that Christians really like, that's why you've got to go back to the basics of, of who we are. So the most rebellious thing that we can do, the most um, world, you know, world system defying thing that we can do is just to be a Christian community as a Christian community, and it, and you're thinking, is it really that easy? And I'm like, yeah, well, it's not that easy, but it really is that simple. And and that's and if it grows out more to that and becomes more complicated, where you know we we back into being involved in politics, or God calls us into being bo- involved in politics, or we're we're pressured into having to do the necessary thing of taking up arms to defend ourselves. Okay, we'll cross those bridges when we get to them, but at heart what we're about is being the christian community and just being here after you're gone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean when it comes to organizing right, I mean this doesn't mean that we stop doing what god commands us to do in respect to to loving our neighbor and treat them as ourselves. But also that you know we we are permitted to gatekeep, fellas. I wish people would uh, remember that. I mean, it's literally in Second Thessalonians. If anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, note that man and have nothing to do with him. That he may be ashamed. Do not look at him upon him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. It's just like you you can gatekeep, you can warn people, yeah. treat like him as you would an unbeliever. Yeah, you've got <laughs> you've got some prerogative to not. Uh, let yourself be infiltrated. What you, and, what you bind on earth
1: will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, and and th- this is this is why the reformers talked about the marks of the church. And this is the the one of the things that disappears is that you you lose focus on this idea of church discipline. You know, um, and it, it reaches its 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 zenith with the the conflict between Gregory and Henry right? Where, you know, the, the the medieval church versus the medieval state, in a sense, um, where he was made to bow before the Pope. Um, but there is this sense that really the, the power that the church has as a community is this power of discipline and discipleship, the ability to say, um, you are no longer one of us, I'm sorry. But, you know, you are not we don't see evidence of conversion and faith there there's just no um uh, there's no authentic expression of it and so I know you want to be a part of us but really you're not and you're a corrosive influence on the body so um you know we're going to continue to pray for you but you are as an unbeliever to us and um uh, you know an object of conversion conquest
0: yeah i mean even for uh, as an example in, in respects to my own life, right? Like you do have to rely on the community and ways in which to keep things orderly, even in times where there may not be a, a priest or presbyter there available to you. I mean, right now my parish is without a priest, mm. um, which has been very difficult for these last several months. But it has been a test of our faith to to gather together. Um, you know, or two or three gather and I'm there with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we do every Sunday. I mean, we have services that we can do without a priest. So, I mean, we still have our, our church life going. It's just not as liturgically full, but you know, like we're all there to make sure that we're not falling into, you know, despair or despondency, these, these sort of really grave vices that can definitely ruin you. And, um, I think that's going to just be, uh, the, those sort of things I take pride. I don't want to go like, I'm not being prideful, but I am proud of the fact that we are, capable and able to still maintain our numbers and to still bring people in in these times. And that is something I think that we're going to have to do because there will be a day where you don't have the explicit permission of the state to exist. And nope. there's going to be a lot of people that will be terrified by that and just stop going. Oh, absolutely. And, well, they and did I mean, during COVID. And I mean, they did during COVID. How many churches shut down during COVID and never oh. came back? And How many people know, left the church? You
1: know, And how and many, many pastors back? that did not want to be like, Arrested. Militantly political, but quietly after the fact admitted, I think we did the wrong thing. Yeah. That that we should have, without being overly, pol- we should have just politely said to them that no, you cannot do church remotely. That and I, that's one of these pieces that I mean to write and like why you can't have real community online. Um, is, you can't. Is- no,
0: um it, this it is part- that is that was my like big crusade in 2022. <laughs> was, I I called it digital deracination. You will be uprooted from your community, your language, your home, yeah. and what's immediately outside your window through online community. Um, and a, a really striking example, and I use this one all the time. This is that I talk to Conscious caracol pretty regularly. Like we have sure. chats that aren't recorded. He's a friend of mine, and yeah, he's in yeah. South Africa. Yeah. and he had said what really strikes me is concerning about like the internet is is like I was. I think he said he was, like, in Johannesburg or um, Pretoria, and he was just, like, there was someone that looked like me, you know, a boar, and he's, like, but it was speaking perfect Americanized English, and he was on his phone. And I was just, like, I felt gutted, and I was, like, I would be, too! You know, that's a terrifying thing to think about, that halfway around the world, somewhere in South Africa, someone is speaking perfect Americanized, you know, millennial English speak,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: terrifying. And so, yeah, you can't really... You can have a facsimile of a community online, but this is why in my, in my circles, it's always about what we call basket weaving, you know, having people meet IRL that are like-minded that isn't Mm -hmm. explicitly political. You need to have friends and things like that.
1: Well, yeah. And and we, we do that with ourselves. We have like a number of groups, um, that like one is a church group and one is just a friendship group that just regular, like once a month, we gather together, about 20 of us and, 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 um, and do different things. It, it's, it's the, 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 the reasons for this are largely like theological. And for me, it was actually Orthodox um, Vladimir Lasky, um, Orthodox theology that taught this to me. But, you know, the argument that like when you think about human nature from a Christian perspective, um, that's, We have a shared human nature and this is the medium by which the, the sack or the, you know, the grace flows to us in like sort of hard line, you know, it, it flows through, you know, like Athanasius, what is not assumed is not redeemed. Right. Um, So, um, but there is more to us than just our human nature. And so there's all these qualities that we share with other beings, but there is this, this thing that makes us uniquely ourselves that cannot be put into any other form it can't be put into words or language you can't box it into this is the problem with stuff like um uh, you know myers-briggs categories Is you take human nature and you use it to divide people up and separate them rather than you know like all extroverts share a common trait that makes unites them rather than divides them right and so um but so how do you then connect with somebody well the Spengler talks about this too it's felt more than it's talked about so You, you look them in the eyes and you know that you understand them because language can have such different meanings, all these things, you know. um, But in the end, there's that sort of eye to eye, soul to soul connection. And you can't have that remotely. And so there is always a piece of, you know, communication online can be rational. It can be through words. You can use images but you cannot connect spirit to spirit online. Like that that final connection has to happen in real life when you look each other eye to eye and you are bonded spirit to spirit in that sense. And that's really the difference. And that's why you can't really build a community and you can't have the community of Christ over a Zoom call. It just isn't the same. You have to be there as a physical body in the building together, worshiping as one community, sharing the same spirit.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you can't have, I mean, it's the same thing with politics or the same thing with, and this is the thing I tell people all the time. I said, if you're on your phone 24 seven, or if you're a solely online consumer and you're sort of engaging in digital escapism, there's going to come a point in time in the day where you have to turn off your phone and go to bed. Mm-hmm. Are you happy with the reflection you see on the screen of your phone when you turn the phone off? And if you're not, you know that's a pretty clear indicative sign there's some things that you should be doing that aren't online and that you know and i hate it when people say log off or you know there or they make fun of people telling you to log off or touch grass and it's just like your mental state will appreciate it if you get away for a little bit. Your you're having friends and things like that will do it. And I I have a knee jerk reaction to it because I mean like I, I for for a living, you know, I can I have to turn on this like light switch and be sociable and and do business development and engaging in things like that. I have to be like the uh talk of the town, so to speak, right? Um, but I really can't I really don't like doing it, you know. <laughs> I um exactly. I I I try to I fight all of my misanthropic urges when I go out to these like little business networking events and shake hands and rub shoulders and things like that, which is fine. I can do it very easily. I got I got that skill from my father and yeah. I'm very Schmoozing thankful. For it. is a Schmoozing, skill. yeah, it's a skill. I hold Schmoozing oh, is a skill. It's a skill and it's underrated, it, it, but it's it an underrated skill, skill and, and men should learn it, not in the P U A sense it, it, but I you mean know in who the, the business
1: sense. This will freak out. You know who is the master of the schmooze?
0: Who's the master of the schmooze?
1: Bill Clinton.
0: Oh yes. Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> that man. That
1: man was the. That man was the. Like, if you wanted, like the de- the, the quintessential definition of the schmoozer schmoozer, it was Bill Clinton. And I had I, I I saw an interview once on like I you know and I had to have to admit when he was this, on like, Arsenio
0: Hall, like the way he just like could smoothly do everything on there. I'm not talking about like the saxophone play, but the way yeah, he just yeah. talked to him. Like there's, no one else has done it like that since then. No, him. and
1: somebody was analyzing like all the little things that he does naturally. And I thought, I can learn a few because I'm naturally a schmoozer myself. So it's like the way you shake hands. His use of touch is, is genius. Oh, and yes. it's just natural. So so I've I've sort of like- The oh, yeah, handshake
0: with the other hand on the arm. arm the and, and where
1: yeah. you put it on the arm can tell you almost everything. Like you can read Bill Clinton. You can tell like how- important the person is to him and and the level of schmooze by where the arm goes, like where his hand second hand goes yeah right it's it's so it it, yeah it's it's a thing so i i I enter but it was just sort of popped in my head like oh yeah this it's from a person on the right to think i'm a schmoozer and the schmoozer schmoozer is like "Eh, it's bill
0: (laughs) without the the body count or the (laughs) or the the or all the or or the kill count you know that's Um, right (laughs) (laughs) you know if you if you want to learn from somebody but not you know, all of, all of the lessons, Bill Clinton, you know, like there be can,
1: dragons
0: there. Yeah. Right. Um, out of the way, Rolo Tomasi, I'm learning from the real OG pickup artist, you know, like, Oh my word. Yes. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, um, uh, and I say this as someone who owns a copy of the rational mail. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I read that in college. I'm not going to lie. I have, the, I have a more licentious past than I like to admit. But, I, well, I, ha- I have read a pickup
1: artist. But I forget the title of it now, but I have read. I did read one once. Um, and there's there's the, these. Yeah, if you want to do it, you can.
0: Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, uh, one of the things that has, I'm very thankful for that skill, though, this sort of, you know, talking and schmoozing bit. Because it's just like, um, it, it sort of makes you realize when you have to deal with, like, you know, making friends in personal life where you're just like, oh, you know. Um, uh I don't want to do these things like I I, oh, yeah. I when we were when Gio and I started doing the Digital Archipelago I picked Thursdays for the sole purpose that I would have an excuse to not go to this book club I was invited to and <laughs> um and I I had admitted to him a, a few weeks ago um actually no it was last week and I just told him I I said in the spirit of forgiveness and confession you know just uh forgive me as I tell you this like horrible like I said no to your book club invitation because I moved the podcast to Thursday. So I had an excuse <laughs> and now it's set at a, at a regular time to where I could go to this book club. So I'm going next month. And it's just oh. like, um, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, really? And I was like, yeah, uh, I don't feel good about it, but I know that, um, I need to be more integrated in the community. I shouldn't be like this standoffish person. Um, and uh, this goes, and if, if this is something that I have to deal with. Odds are, I know that my audience does too, to some extent. Um, and I think that, you know, that applies to all facets of your life, but especially your church life. You can't just go to a live stream service on your phone or your computer. It's not there. You need to be in person. You need to be there and worship. So you're, so you're feeling things. And I don't mean that in a charismatic sense, but I mean like, you know, um, there are prayers that are said during the liturgy for us that just move me to, to tears. Um, you know, and it's the same, and it's the same liturgy I've heard all the time, you know, whether it's of yeah. St. John Chrysostom or, or St. Basil the Great, you know, like I've heard them all multiple times throughout my life now, and it's just, they still move me to tears. Like, you don't get that from a live stream service. Like, you have to go. You have to, you yeah. have to commune with your fellow parishioners or your fellow churchgoers. Otherwise, what are you doing with yourself?
1: No, and I mean, partly because of this is where my parents go, but, um, we, we go to a church that's, you know, a, a theater kids church, right? So it's, it's, um, I know the pastor, we went to school together and, and stuff. So that, that helps too a little bit. But, um, even so, um, for all that I might chide the church for the things that it is, um, we were there on Sunday and you're sitting in the, in, 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 in the seats and, and praising and just realize that the spirit of God is here. I can feel him. <laughs> And you're like, yeah, you know, even in a theater oh, church, the spirit of God can be here.
0: Well, um, where, where is it said that, you know, grace can be found in unlikely places?
1: Yeah. Well, um, somebody gave up, came, stood up also and gave an alpha testimony of how a, he was a Muslim and came to Christ. And you're sitting there thinking like, oh, okay. praise
0: God, you know. Yeah, And
1: you're sitting there thinking like, ah, oh, yeah, OK, it's a secret church and this is not how I would do it. But you know what? Uh, just a Muslim coming to Christ. That's uh, that's a, exactly. that's a
0: big that's a that's a pretty big w in my book i'll take that's that exactly any day, it that's exactly <laughs> it
1: so i'll just i'll just keep my criticisms to myself over absolutely, here and my, absolutely. my wry observations about the techno the, the technological church and blah, blah 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 and i'm just like yeah you just do more of that and keep that coming and i'll be fine <laughs> i'll get over myself <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, that's, that's such a wonderful thing to hear. Um, that's so good. Well, we've been talking for about, uh, two hours now. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to to cover or address? No, I think
1: we're fine. We've, we've gone on for a long time and this this way we can leave something for a future thing.
0: That is is true. One of us will write another essay and we'll just DM each other and figure something else to talk about. Let's talk. We
1: need to talk about this. That's (laughs) good. I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I did have the incentive, you know, like being a procrastinator, having a deadline, the incentive. And I was uh, my wife is like, Are you coming upstairs yet? Like, why don't I sit and watch TV? I'm like, No, 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 no. I've just got to finish up here. And I'm like, Yeah, you know, I'm writing this secret article for um, things so I can get it up and talk about it on this podcast that I'm not telling you about tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I do <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel yeah. you because I've got like a million drafts in Substack that I tell myself one of these days I really need to finish these and have people yeah, I know, so. like, Maybe yeah. I should, you know, um, tell my podcast friends, like, Hey, tell me to write about this so I can go up and talk about it that way I have a reason to finish it (laughs) <laughs> you know, other, other than, other than, of course, like, you know, I'm giving stuff to the, the patrons and things like that, but it's just like, yeah, I really need to finish these. Cause like I have projects that are like more or less almost finished that just need to be edited. And I'm like, Oh Lord, I need to help me, <laughs>
1: help me. I need to finish these. It's uh, interesting that you mentioned patrons because I know Substack puts on automatically now sort of the, the pledge alerts, you know, like, would you pledge this thing? And you don't really, but I had somebody clicked and said they would pledge $8 a month for my, th- I'm thinking like, oh my word, I've never really thought about actually monetizing what I do. Cause I've just, I have, my bills are paid. I don't really need the money and I don't want to have the confusion, you know, the whole thing of, am I writing to my audience to, am I risking this, the, the revenue stream and blah, 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 all those kind of questions. Right. Yeah. And, um, but all of a sudden it hit me like, wow, somebody would actually pay for what I'm writing. And I'm like, interesting. I'll have to think on that a little bit.
0: <laughs> I, I, I had a genuine moment. Um, I, Cause I, I, cause I live, I live out in the sticks. And so I, yeah. I went out and I go out into the woods and I, and I, I pray there cause it's just sure. better to not be, you know, it's my secret place is out in exactly. the woods. And um, I was walking to it and I just thought to myself, Oh my goodness. You know, I was with the last episode of the digital archipelago at the time of this recording, we, we talked about, Joe versus the volcano, sleepless in Seattle, and you've got mail, three Meg Ryan Tom Hanks movies. Oof. And people gave me money to talk about that. I am so blessed. Like, God is just, good. I was just like, oh, God is good. Like I get to do this and people wanted to pay and ask questions talking about three Meg Ryan Tom Hanks rom-com movies. Like, oh, just like, praise God and the highest. <laughs> I'm yeah. just joyful over something that seems so inane, but wow. those are the blessings you have at this time.
1: That's right, because it makes up for the fact that that Geo must be punishing you for something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, I, I honestly, and I will say this because I'll, I'll, this part will be on the air. I yeah. love, I love the fact that Geo tests my patience and my oh. boundaries on things. I think it is a good spiritual test of oh, both yeah. uh, brotherly love, but patience, and to not be so quick to get flustered and angry. And for that, I am always. For however long the podcast goes or however long my relationship working with Geo goes, I will always um, be thankful and praise God for that, that, that he, opportunity. He is a good
1: guy who's underappreciated on the right. I think largely because even though he does get paid for it now and does monetize that he has like a spider web. He's at sort of like a spider at the center of this like vast web on the right. And, like, everybody talks to him. Everybody knows him. And he just, like, there's very few people that he actually bashes. And he listens. And he has a lot of fun. And he just, like, I just recently listened to you guys' pods talking about those three um, the gay lifestyle films from the eighties. Oh, the teen
0: uh, apocalypse trilogy. Oh, that oh, yeah, that my. was a real test of my, I like, and I'm I sitting there thinking this.
1: like, <laughs> Oh my word, poor Prue. I'm like, wow. Those like, but at the same time, like I, like I remember too, like I had to read Feuerbach, right? there is a point in time that for the, that like, I'm never going to watch those movies unless you make me. Cause I'm just sitting there yeah. thinking like, yeah, I'm not, that's not, I don't want to do that to myself, but at a certain point in time, somebody has to, because you know, somebody it's good for people to have that conversation at some point um maybe on the other, other i had the conversation so you don't have to <laughs>
0: it, it, well exactly right one of the things that we wanted to one time do geo message messaged me he's like hey we should i don't know how we could get this monetized but he says i kind of want to i want to i want to go over mother by bottier and we'll have like one of our writer friends come on and i started reading because it's a short story yeah yeah I don't know if you know it, but I was reading through it. And I was just like, "Geo, no!" Like this is so <laughs> adamant and disgusting. Like, why would you want to cover this? And he's like, "I don't know. I think that there's something there." And I was like, "The problem is, it is but I don't know if you could get that money." <laughs> like, oh my gosh! Uh, and I I finished reading the story and I was like, "Geo, like, why?" You know, like, and I'm I read it and I'm like, "I that's in my brain now. I can't I can't oh, take it from me. but know, I'm sure." It's... One day down the line on the digital archipelago, we'll cover that story. I just well, don't know. How to Do it. <laughs> there's, a reason, there's
1: a reason why people rubberneck at car accidents too, right? So absolutely, like, absolutely. That is probably you know that is probably the one that'll do big numbers because it's like you're going to read that and talk about it. Like, oh my word, I got to pay for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um well uh thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me no thank you for having me Um, Um,
1: it's it's um i'm i'm really glad that you you messaged me and hopefully you know you and geo have been very kind because you know i was a uh, on the verge of a big account then blew that all up because of some misguided idea that I had to it was actually good for me to get away and then um, and now that I'm back again, I'm rebuilding things. It's nice to get um a hand up from you guys and and yeah. to talk I, mean, I don't of... have the bird
0: app installed on my phone right now for I know for, for the lunch. same reason yeah, yeah 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 so i I've been um it's been a little bit... oh, it's been so liberating <laughs>
1: it it is like and i the, the, like I timed it in part for you know my return. Because Gio and I talked about it. And and again, it was that one thing he said to me, being afraid of success. And I think that part of it is um, I asked myself, was I afraid to do the work of mastering Twitter um, it was just easier to walk away and quit because it gave me an excuse not to face the fact that my Substack and my Twitter account were getting to the point where they were successful and now I have to manage that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I had a couple of, of slow weeks, but it looks like um, busyness is returning. And um, so now I've just got to consciously engage in that. So I had the luxury of being able to volume post the last couple of weeks, but that luxury is going to be taken away from me a little bit. And so now you have to deal with the very, I have to deal spiritually with the very addictive nature of Twitter and just say, no, it's, um, I got to do other things right now. Um, and, and that's fine.
0: Well, where can people find your work?
1: They can find it. Um, it's I have, and that's another whole story. Apple Keck, Keck Ruminane. Um, uh, that's my own self owned at proton at, uh, at, dot uh, substack.com. Um or they can find me on Twitter. I now have underscore at underscore cryptos. And then the link will be there to my substack and um, welcome aboard. And um, I'll keep saying what I want to say, regardless of whether you follow me or not. So,
0: um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I had noticed that you had been in the comments or would like things from what I, I wrote on Substack, and I was like, I really need to, to, to start... Cause anytime I notice that someone writes something on Substack, like when they comment, I'm like, oh, I need to read what this person writes. Cause, um, <laughs> you know, if they're, if they're also blocking, like I'm blocking and they're somehow reading me for some ungodly reason, I don't know why. I should probably read what they have to write. It's probably better. And, um, I've done that with like several people now and I'm like, okay, like you're, you're good. Uh, well, you. Yo- Johan on, I think his, his Substack's called like becoming noble or something, but like, yeah, these, oh, I'm like, I'm very lucky to have, uh, these writers, um, in my circle or in my like radar, so um your links will be posted down below in the description. So yeah, so now uh, is this has this been actually going out live right now? No, 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 oh, no, no. Yeah, um, no this has one. been recording. Um, I'll probably yeah, post I this up later today. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, I, if this were live, we'd be I'd be changing my profile picture like um like this, okay. and we'd be going to the super chats right about now. You know, okay, to yeah, see yeah, yeah, them yeah. on over, but. No, um, <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> there we go. Or if
0: I'm exhausted, right, I'll put this one on when is oh, yeah. going on a long rant. Um, I've got to
1: get a little, I've got to get a, a logo up to put on my thing for when I do yeah,
0: it. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I've can... I, I haven't
1: played around with this app too much, but maybe after, so I got to, I should, you know, maybe sign up and make an account and then I'll be able to to do some of this for next time so I can have my, because it did, I picked a, an image that is very identifiable and people have identified and asked me actually, where did you get that? Where did you get that? And so, um so that's sort of once you've got a um an identifiable quote unquote logo just to, to hang on to it.
0: Oh yeah. I'm very thankful to my friend uh Dora the Stormer as he goes on Twitter. Um he's the one who's done all my artwork for the channel and oh, um can't get enough of the frog, so it all works out. Um but you know again, thank you, Kryptos, for coming on. I will also have your Substack piece linked in the description as well for awesome. where people can find you and what you what we've been talking about today. And um I hope that we have another conversation again soon. Yeah. So I guess that Looking means we, we, we both have to write more.
1: <laughs> we both have to write more. So yeah, we're good. And hopefully I'll have yeah. time in the next couple of weeks and I'm trying to get a piece a week, but that's about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why I forced myself to start doing what I call observation notes to, to keep yeah. me writing every other week. That way there's content constantly. <laughs>
1: It's sometimes what happens is you set yourself on writing something, and rather than just abandoning it and moving on to something easier, you push through, and then and so instead of being like one week, it takes three weeks to get the piece out because it's just like, oh, this is just not coming to me.
0: Oh, I know. <laughs> this, is, this is why I um, that also I get lazy, and I'm like there's an essay that I have a few bullet points on. I'm like, this is just going to turn into a fishing video because I can just impromptu wing that and. <laughs> 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 I love, but I love it though because the you know I, I I get to combine fishing with my 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 video stuff. You so know, it's just go. like you know it all works out, and the the fishing videos will continue until the view counts improve. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> you will watch. You
0: will, you will watch, watch the fishing videos. By yes. God, I, I that's I'm going to keep making them. I'm, I'm, I should have another one out soon actually so it all works out but um, again thank you for coming on and um, we'll see you all next time we'll see you next time take care bye bye